Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, kids. Uh, welcome back. Hope you had a, a wonderful weekend. Uh, a long weekend with uh, Good Friday. Uh, some not working today. Can uh, appreciate that uh, the weather has been spectacular here in YYC, which is, uh, you know, nice. It's a little bit of change uh, considering the last couple of months. Uh, glad you're with us. Uh, welcome to Just a Game. I would be me. You would be you. Appreciate you stopping by. Uh, speaking of stopping by, a couple of guests in studio today. Colin Patterson from the 89 Stanley Cup team. Flames alumni will join us. As well, a little later on, the managing editor for Flames Nation, Ryan Pike, will stop by. Flames in action tonight. Uh, we will get into that. Uh, reminder. We're broadcasting live from uh, Treaty 7 territory, and of course, this is an inclusive program, so everybody's welcome, everybody's safe here, glad you could be with us. Hope, um, I hope that you're finding some entertainment in the world of sport these days, because it seems like we are getting some, um, you know, certainly from a baseball standpoint, if you watched the Jays and the Angels yesterday, you, you, you have no right to complain about entertainment, you got all of it. Uh, if you were, uh, like many... Uh, who were in my circle, uh, not me, but many who were in my circle, uh, glued to the couch uh, for the Masters when it was on. Uh, obviously, some weather delays and shortened days and those sort of things. Uh, you saw John Rahm uh, pick up his, his second career title, his first Masters title. Uh, lots to be excited about. Even Saturday night, uh, the, the Flames knew the stakes uh, as they were chasing the, uh, the Jets, the Jets shutting out the Nashville Predators. Uh, prior to the Flames playing the Canucks, uh, the Canucks shutting out the Flames for the first 40 minutes. Uh, Thatcher Demko was was spectacular, and quite honestly, uh, in the grand scheme of things, so was uh, Jacob Markstrom. Uh, third period rolled around, and how many times have we said this? How many times have we uttered the phrase, that's the season in a nutshell, folks? Uh, the Flames who up until nine days prior had not won a game when trailing going into the third period, but did so in their previous visit to Vancouver, rallied quickly at the beginning of the third period, found a way to get two past Demko, tied the game. Uh, Both goalies were excellent the rest of the way. Got into an overtime period, which really started off um, somewhat tentative, I think it was almost 90 seconds in before anybody registered a shot. But once that started, it was a, a, a breakneck, 
back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Really the, the best of what uh, three on three can bring you, except no goal. Uh, and then you go to the fortunes of the shootout, and, and the Flames just did not have it on that night. They lose, lose 3-2. They get a single point, but let's, let's lay it all on the, uh, on the line. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the Flames accounts and their, their social media will tell you that, you know, still alive and those sort of things. But, boy, it's, it's tough sledding right now. It is tough sledding right now. Hosting Nashville tonight, so another team that you're chasing, uh, or not chasing, you're, you're in a race with. Interesting note about the Nashville game tonight. If, if the National Hockey League um, used the same playoff formula that the NBA did, these two teams would meet uh, later on in the week again in Calgary uh, as part of a play-in game. As a matter of fact, the uh, Raptors host the Bulls on Wednesday. That's the 9-10 team, uh, or 9-10 matchup. So I and I'm I'm not proposing it. I'm not a proponent of it. I, I know that it gets thrown around every once in a while, but it is possible that this would have been a play, a potential preview of a play-in game. Uh, having said that, two games to go as you saw on the schedule. This one tonight against Nashville, and then the San Jose Sharks on Wednesday to wrap up the season. Most likely, it's not done. It's not over, but it's real close to being done and real close to being over. Uh, just other, one other thing I wanted to highlight in the uh, National Hockey League, and we will be talking to uh, Billy Jaffe on Wednesday from Nesson. The Bruins win their 63rd game of the season. 63. That's a new NHL record for wins in a year. Um, this, of course, was a team that was supposed to be, um, you know, rebuilding the, the tail end of that this was supposed to you know yeah they got a new coach and yeah got some guys to come back and Krejci came back and you know Bergeron decided to keep playing those sort of things they have been absolutely uh, nothing short of a juggernaut uh, Pasternak with 60 goals on the season uh, the Bruins look really really good in the east of course it's your you know pick them do you want to uh be on a roll going in, or do you want who have coasted all the way in? Because uh, Boston's not coasting right now; they're they're still winning games. Having uh, you know all of that under their belt, it shall be interesting. And it, it not that everything is about the local hockey heroes, but I do contend that the best game they played this year was against the Bruins, and I do contend that despite losing it in overtime, it was uh, it was rather dominant against a dominant team, which further. Again, talk about conundrums further. Talk about uh, things that make very, very, very little sense. That is certainly one of them. Uh, just touching on it uh, briefly, in baseball yesterday, I don't know if you saw this. You wouldn't have, nobody would have blamed you had you um, turned away from the Blue Jays-Anaheim game in the uh, bottom of the fifth or the top of the sixth because Toronto was trailing 6 nothing to Otani and Mike Trout. Um, but then the Raptors, or the Raptors, and then the Jays scored six runs to tie it. Um, top of the seventh, they scored four more. They went up 10-6 on Anaheim. Anaheim tied it in the bottom of the ninth with three more runs. And then we go into the tenth, and Toronto scored two. Anaheim scored one. Toronto wins this crazy one, 12-10, or 12-11, I should say, in 10 innings. Um, the, the stat that kind of popped for me was home runs. Anaheim had four in this game. Toronto just won. So Toronto able to score uh, 11 runs or 
get to 12 runs with just one home run. So uh, interesting record, 6-4 and four for Toronto as they get to come home and get set to have their home opener. Anaheim, who I think a lot of us are kind of watching. They're 5-4 and four with uh, Otani and Trout. Um, by the way, Kikuchi was kind of roughed up in this game. That's part of the problem when you, you start talking about guy. Oh, he looks great. His first outing, he was fantastic. And yeah, he was... Uh, very much roughed up against a, a team that can hit. There's no doubt about it. Anaheim has some offense. Um, we are live this afternoon in the Oodle Noodle studio. Local, loved, and delicious since opening their first store back in 2005. Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Pickup and delivery. We will uh, welcome in our first guest of the afternoon. Um, By the way, all guests are presented by our good friends. Oh, man, these guys have been awesome to us here uh, recently coming aboard and and helping us. Um, I got to thank the folks at the Ski Cellar, Snowboard, SkiCellar, Snowboard.com. 45 years in Calgary, three locations. They're easy to find. Um, you don't have to hunt around. They're they're right where you need them. But more importantly than that, right now, yeah, mm, skiing's kind of slowing down, but there's still snow in the mountains, so you want to check, check them out. Take advantage of the opportunities and the great deals on right now for warm clothing, even if it's for next year. Again, Ski Cellar Snowboard, SkiCellarSnowboard.com. They've been around Calgary since 1946. Our next guest hasn't been around that long. Um, <clears throat> Thanks. No, no, prob- no. It's it's probably you've been around since '83, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's the first of the uh, the guests of the Barnburner program that we've stolen. Uh, Colin Patterson, kind enough to join us in studio. How are you? Excellent, Rob. How are you? I am great. Uh, this is this is home for you, boy. This neighborhood sure is going to be something in the summer, isn't it? Is it ever? There's some <laughs> great little places opening Abs- up. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely, um, not a lot of fun to be a, a Flames fan at this moment. But it was. Uh, I want to start go all the way back because over last week, Daryl Sutter coached uh, Game 401, became the all-time uh, leader in games coached. Uh, by a flame coach, although he did it in two stints. Badger Bob was the leader at 400. We had Peter Marr on. We had Eric DeHatchuk on. Both covered Badger. You played for Badger. Um, Two more different coaches you will not get in Daryl Sutter and Badger Bob Johnson, right? Absolutely. You know, I never played for Daryl, obviously, but uh, probably would have done well under him. (laughs) <laughs> I did play for Badger. Badger was all hockey, like everything related to hockey. He had the greatest attitude about yeah. the game and about life. And just, you know, he was a real interesting guy. He was all about developing players mm-hmm. and developing the game. He came from the college game, which you did too. Yes. Did it make it an easier transition for, for you? It, it did because I think when Badger came in, there was a lot of older players uh, the year before. And they moved a lot of those guys out and were looking for, you know, new players to bring in. And I was fortunate enough as a college free agent to come in that in 83. And Badger, you know, wanted to make me a player. And and he did. I mean, he worked hard with me. And, you know, yeah, people might have looked at it and gone, boy, I don't know what you're doing walking like a duck around center ice. But it did help my skating. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. What? Yeah. So he would get me to. You'd squat down. You walk like a duck. Or you would call it yeah. a duck walk. And so you'd go around the center ice, um, you know, around the circle, face off circle, 
And we, I would do that for, you know, probably five or 10 minutes. And he'd be sort of wandering off, you know, thinking of something else. Right. And forget you're doing it. And I mean, you're, it, it's, it's hard work if anybody gets down and does that. And it's no wonder I've got bad knees now. <laughs> this, now, was this, this was like practice or was this in training camp? <laughs> this was practice. This was okay. after practice. Hey, Badger, one thing about him was, um, you know, in the early days, he would practice. We'd practice all the time. Yeah. Like, he'd practice on a game day. You'd be practicing an hour, hour and a half. Right. And finally, Lanny went in, and some of the older guys said, hey, you know, Badger, on a game day, because you're playing, you know, 80 games or 78 games, whatever it was back in the day, um, we don't need to practice a full practice in the morning of a, of a game. And so, you know, he, he sort of let, let his foot off the pedal a bit for that. Okay. But, you know... In those days, too, the away team would come on after you. And, yep. you know, they'd have the ice at 11, and you wouldn't want to give it up at 10.30 or 10.45, and, and you'd wait till the bitter end till it was 11, and then you go off the ice, even if you just had one guy on the ice. And sometimes that one guy would be me walking <laughs> around the circle. As a duck. As a duck. And I, I remember Dave Taylor, who, you know, obviously the, the greatest player ever to play at Clarkson University. And, of course. And uh, so he, he came up after, after and he said, uh, what were you doing out there? I, just, well, I was walking like a, you know, a duck yeah, to yeah. improve my skating. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Did it work? Yeah, it worked. It worked. It worked, eh? yeah. Uh, I st- so here's again uh, every time we have a conversation about Badger Bob there's always two things that come up in a story so the first one for me is the hour and a half pra- you guys practiced yeah. an hour and a half on game days yeah and you know what I mean it was uh, you know after a while it got grueling and especially you know for a college player because yeah. you only played you know 34 40 games right um, you know the extra games alone was a lot uh, let alone practicing like and you know and they were he was you know he was a teacher yeah x's and o's he he loved the game he was always studying the game he'd always be interested in how other teams played and what they did on their power play penalty killing badger was way ahead of the curve on that Mm -hmm. on practicing power play and penalty killing and his belief was you know if we had a good power play and good penalty killing uh, we'd be up at the top of the league and we were Right. You know, regardless of your five-on-five play, which we were pretty good. But, you know, those two things, and he had this drill. It was called Joker's Wild. It was my favorite drill. It was uh, you had four guys in, you know, red, four guys in white, and then you had the guy who was a joker, which typically was Al McInnes, uh, to be, you know, whether he had a black jersey on or an orange one, he would be the on the power play the whole time. So you go basically a minute on power play penalty killing and then it would reverse so the guys in the penalty kill would go on the power play and and you go back and forth and it was you know it was a hard paced drill and it was really good drill and always thought that was you know one of his gifts to the game was the power play penalty killing and Mm -hmm. in that aspect but he was also huge in nutrition yep you know yeah he uh, was physical conditioning you know we used to ride the bike after the game uh you know i used to say you know not that you can use his name anymore, but I, I rode more miles than Lance Armstrong after a sure. game. Um, and then, you know, nutrition. We had uh, we had people come in to talk about nutrition to us. We had a yoga instructor yeah. come in, and you know, all those things. It was it was great. You know, he was way out in front of that. Although we probably weren't as accepting of that at the time. And you know, even the sports psychologist. You know that that type of you know stuff was was big for Badger. Tell me about the yoga, because I, I think you just kind of alluded to it. it. In hindsight now, it was a great innovation at the time. Not so much. Right? Yeah, not so much at the time. And, you know, you can imagine going back in the day for the guys, you know, 
hurry up, you know, we got to get to the, you know, for lunch and have a, a burger and a beer. Uh, but this lady, Shirley Johansson, would come in and, uh, you know, she would get us all, we'd be in the, the workout room yep. and we'd all be out and she'd be stretching us. And she she had this real calming voice, you know, like any yoga instructor. She, you know, relax your quads, relax your shoulders, you know, let your, you know, neck sink in deep into the carpet or and then you know relax your buttocks and you know and all this stuff right so she doesn't show up one day and so bearcat of course he's been reading the yoga books and and so he takes over and he's like okay relax your legs relax your arse you know (laughs) and and that was it you know bearcat's time as the yoga instructor ended then yeah that's fantastic um just one more on badger and that has to do with uh, his you know goal was and Pete talked about it. It was always about Edmonton, right? Like, yeah. got to get the Oilers, got to knock them off the top of the mountain, right? Yeah, knock them off the top of the mountain. And, you know, Badger was great because he designed, you know, game plans to play against the Oilers. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have, you know, you'd have your own system and style, but against the Oilers, you had to play them. You know, our system and style probably wasn't good head-to-head. They had so many great players. Yeah. So it was like, okay, how are we going to beat them? Here's how we need to do it. And and over the years, you know, we had very competitive games against them, competitive series. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But I go, um, we did fairly well against them. Obviously, the playoff time, uh, a little bit different. Uh, but Edmonton had an unbelievable team. I mean, they won five Stanley Cups. Uh, you know, they had probably five of the seven greatest players, uh, you know, in the world at that time. And I think that probably they had the most underrated player, too, in Grant Fear. Yeah. You know, I thought yeah. he was he was a difference in a lot of games. Even if the game was 7-6, he'd make that 7th save, you know, or that 8th save, whatever it is, you know, to stop that 7th that or 8th goal. Not the 7th or 8th save, but, you know, I mean, we'd have like 50 shots and he'd make that, that one big save. Right. As, as someone who was tasked at times with trying to shut down that offense and try to shut down Gretzky, can you equate what Connor McDavid's done this year to what, what Gretzky was able to do in those years? Yeah, I mean, when you look at them, I mean, they're both great players. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the game was different back in the day than it is now. You know, there's a lot of hooking and holding back in the day, a yeah. lot of, uh, you know, you, you still had the two-line offside. Um, you know, so those things made a difference. You still had the automatic offside, too, mm-hmm. going over the blue line. So those things, you know, probably – impeded Gretzky to get more points you know because if you think of him if you think of him now you know being able to be in his own end get the puck and fire it up to a a flying Yari Curry who's right by the blue line or Glenn Anderson or whoever it was you know the far blue line boy you know that's a really good point I don't know if we take because there's been a lot of conversation about McDavid's you know, yeah. season versus Gretzky's best season. And that is a, a rather significant ability, right? Yeah, and then, then you look at overtime. You know, we didn't get overtime until I don't know what year it was. Uh, and it was five on five. It overtime. was five on five. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't three on three. So I can only imagine Gretzky, you know, a three on three. I'm, I remember when he retired, um, obviously a huge time in, in sporting. And my buddies, I got like, my phone was lighting up. Like I got probably five or six calls from my buddies. So finally I answer one. And I, my one buddy goes, hey, you're all over the news. I go, well. Well, finally, you know what's going on? They go, they're showing Gretzky's highlight goals. Oh, no. <laughs> so there I am reaching oh, in, no. reaching in. I'm like, oh, man. But, you know, we played against him so much. And, yeah. And he was a, a, a fantastic player. Just his hockey IQ was, mm-hmm. you know, beyond anybody, you know, in my mind that, that has played the game. You know, was he the fastest skater? No. Do you have the fastest or hardest shot? No. But he was accurate. He was the best passer. 
you know, and he just, he knew the game. People always said, why don't you hit him in open ice? Well, it's tough to hit a guy in open ice. He was probably the best lateral move, yeah. you know, mover in, in the game at that time too. And people go, well, run him in the corner. Well, he's not in the corners, you know, yeah. that yeah. isn't his game. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And if he's behind the net, well, you can chase him behind the net and, you know, you'll look like an idiot again. You'll end up on a highlight reel, which, you know, a few of those, and then you learn. You know, you got to sort of contain him and contain contain the guys that he's passing to. Right. right? If Because we always do the, you know, bring it forward. If we brought Gretzky into today's game, what yeah. would happen? If we move McDavid back, is he more like Gretzky or is he more like Messier in the sense of, because he's a bigger guy who can skate, right? Yeah, I think he's probably, you know, in between the two okay. if, you, if you moved him back in that yeah. era. But, I mean, his speed is tremendous now you right know, if you had that same speed then well but i, I think that if you look he was at, more like coffee that way well, right? yeah. yeah oh just such a smooth skater and yeah. you look at you know paul coffee one of the greatest defensemen ever to play the game i mean they had you know messier gretzky curry coffee anderson you know yep. um you know and then add in grant Fuhrer. i go and then add in the host of other players that they had that they were really good they had yeah. a, such a, a good core group of players probably about 12 or 13 of them, and then they do a fantastic job of augmenting those players, too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just been a lot of conversation this year, not to take anything away from McDavid, because he no. does look like he's on a mission, but that there were a couple of those Gretzky seasons where, you know, you just shake your head, right? Yeah. Well, and you, and you look at uh, uh, McDavid now, and you go, you know, when you look at Gretzky, he had, you know, Gretzky had, a, as we talked about, those four other players that yeah. were all-star player. I mean, he's got uh, Dreisaitl, who is world-class. Absolutely. You know, beyond that, they've got some good, good players, yeah. but not, you know, that... Uh, you not, don't have you don't have two Dreisaitls or three Dreisaitls. But I don't think you could have that anymore. No, I mean, it's tough to do that. Right. But I, but I look at, you know, you look at Colorado, and they've got, you know, they've got three or four yeah. really, you know, standout players, too. But I believe McKinnon's going to be... Do a new contract at some point, yeah. Right? You know, and, and that will all change. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, that's everybody talks about the goaltending or the equipment and stuff. It's the salary cap, really, <laughs> right? What What would that have done? Yeah, I, you know, and it's it's interesting. You know, if you could have kept, um, you know, a bunch of teams together over that time, right. and you know, when you think of now and you think of guys leaving because they're getting more money, which yeah. that's all great and that's what they they've worked towards. But as a team, you know, you have to plan, you know, hey, we got to win it in this time frame or yeah. we're losing guys. We're, am I wrong? But weren't the weren't your Stanley Cup version of your team, wasn't it one of the highest paid teams at the time? Um, I don't know if it was the highest paid. Uh, it certainly wasn't to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, I, I, I know that people talk about uh, the salaries and, you know, ours was... I think I think our whole team was you know four point five million yeah. five million it was in around there. It's it's yeah. kind of mind numbing to think, think about my, it now. My right? one thirty Canadian <laughs> hit home on that pretty good, but I think that was that was probably actually Canadian dollars too because we used to get paid. Um, yeah, if you signed a contract in Canadian dollars, that's what it was in. Right. You know now everybody's signing in U.S. dollars, but you know if you got traded from the U.S. to Canada, it would just. You know, you'd add the factor and oh, really? go that way. But if you got traded from the U.S. to Canada, or Canada to the U.S., you would get your face value in U.S. dollars. So if you were making 150 Canadian, you traded U.S., you're making 150 U.S. Holy cow! So it was yeah. you know, quite a quite a thing when you a got bonus. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge bonus. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the uh, current version of your former club. Uh, 
remains somewhat of an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Do you have any insight to what we have seen here this year or what we saw on Saturday oh. or game to game? It just, it's, it's, it's almost incredible. It's almost funny if it wasn't tragic. Yeah. I think, you know, I look at it and I go, you can't put your finger on any one thing. I think there's a lot of multiple things that are, yep. that have happened to the team and, um, you know, they haven't found the chemistry that they had the last couple of years. And I think last year was a career year for everybody. Um, you know, and then there's the changes that happen over the the summer. Um, and then, but on paper, you know, what they brought in, I, I thought they were going to be a better team. Yep, I did I truly too. thought they were going to be a better team. I think everybody did. But, you know, it's it's an adjustment period, no question. You know, adjustment for, you know, coming into a new city, uh, new weather for, you know, yeah. the guys in Florida, yep. uh, the pressure of the Canadian press, uh, which is huge. You know, the factor of going out and being noticed, the, the thing of, you know, opening the newspaper or, you know, going online and, you know, you're watching TV and, yep. and hockey's a big thing. It's not football. It's not basketball. It's not baseball. It's not college sports. Um, it's, you know, it's Calgary Flames. And and then you add in, you know, the coaching and new style and, and the way the team plays. And, uh, you know, so it, there is a, a bunch of adjustment. And if you don't get that chemistry right, sort of at the start, I shouldn't say just at the start, but, you know, t- tinkering with it to get mm-hmm. it so that it's at the right point. And, you know, uh, and it's, yeah, it's tough because I, I look at, you know, probably the last five or seven games that their fourth line has been their best line. Yeah. You know, and I go, yeah. well, your fourth line can't be your best line unless you move it up to third line, second line, and first line. And a lot of times when you get, you know, the fourth line is your best line and you're playing them like your first line. Well, those guys aren't used to playing the minutes that, that you take to be on a, on a first line. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's, uh, you know, disappointing in a way, but they're still not out of it. That's that's the amazing part is that even after the Vancouver game, which is so, you know, disappointing, the Chicago game was more disappointing, but, um, you know, they've got to, in their mind, they got to go, we got to come out and just hammer the team. I mean, they did it to the Ducks uh, in Anaheim, where they came out out and blitzed them, right? That's what they have to do against these lower teams and just say, hey, you don't have a chance. But the longer a team stays in it, well, the more chance they have of actually winning and, you know, getting a lucky bounce or a lucky goal. And, you know, and all of a sudden they're up. And, I, you know, watching that Vancouver game, the, the first period was they just didn't come out like they should. And, yeah. and you know, and unfortunately, you know, Jacob Markstrom's had, you know, a couple of games where that, that first or, you know, first or second shot goes in, which is, is tough on a team. But on the other side, I mean, the best defense is always – offensive forecheck mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and you got to get the puck in you got to have guys who you know are starting the game and know what they're doing and you know they want to create and and set a tone to it yeah and we you know watching a few games you just haven't felt that and yeah it, it is it's disappointing but i also go now i go don't count winnipeg out of losing three games here you know they haven't been the best team ever. No, you know, they could easily um, lose. You know they've got two tough games coming up. They got in, probably an easier one tonight in San, against San Jose. But you know, once again, if you think it's going to be easy, uh, well, they got shut out by San Jose a week ago, right? Yeah. So it it can happen. A couple of theories that I want to run by you because you would have more insight than I. Uh, the Chicago game last week, in which they just didn't have it. Um, do you get? Would you get exhausted as a player? If you were con- like 
it's every game's a game seven. Every game yeah. you got to win, you got to win, you got to win. I, I just wonder about the mental fatigue, and they just look like it. I don't think it wasn't that they didn't care, and Nazem Kadri didn't care, but Nazem Kadri coughed up the puck a lot. It, it, do you get tired when you're chasing like this? Um, you know, I think there's two things. One is, you know, you shouldn't be tired, uh, but I think you get caught up in. And we, we got caught up in the same thing in the day was mm-hmm. Edmonton, Edmonton, Edmonton. And they were getting caught up in Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. And yep. sometimes you lose sight of what's truly in front of you is to get to that game against, you know, back in the day, Edmonton. But right. to get to that game against Winnipeg. And I don't think the team, you know, really focused enough on beating Chicago. Let's just, you know, at, at this point, you take a one game at a time, one shift at a time. I mean, it's cliche-ish, but it's true. You know, one shift, one period, one game, then you worry about the next one. Right. But there was so much, you know, hype about, oh, the biggest game of the season is going to be the game against Winnipeg. That's going to decide it. And you know what? Um, it isn't. You know? mm-hmm. uh, the biggest game of the season at that time was against Chicago. And then, you know, then the next night against Winnipeg. So, you know, you end up losing to Chicago, but you beat Winnipeg. And you're still, you know, outside looking in. Right. Because you don't beat Vancouver. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that, that go into the mental preparation of it. But they need to be focused every game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it can happen. Believe me, it can happen. You can have bad games. But it's up to, you know, the coach, too, to say, hey, you know, this guy might not be having his best game tonight. But... You know, Walker Dewar and Lucic mm-hmm. and Lewis are. So I'm going to play them a little more than I'm going to play the guys who are, you know, the first, second, or third line. And, and I think that's probably, you know, sometimes what, you know, happens is, you know, you, you go back to the to the guys who you think have brought you to the well, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think, you know, for me as a, you know, sort of marginal player in the game, I had great nights. And if the coach couldn't recognize my great nights, then – they were sort of wasted, right? <laughs> yeah. Because at any yeah. night, you could yeah, be yeah. the best player on the ice. Sure. And, and if you are if you get played like that, then you know what? Well, that you know the team's going to benefit from that. Are you surprised at all about that he has stayed so consistent the last couple of weeks in his lineup? Uh, no, I think once you, you know, I mean, they were on a bit of a winning streak, and then he did change it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think it's tough to say, well, let's throw in a... Uh, you know, Coronado or, yeah, you know, or Pelche. Pelche. And, you know, because one thing is, yeah, it sounds great. Well, they should throw them, should throw them in. But if you lose, then, you know, yeah. it's their fault, yeah. right? And yeah. you don't want that for, especially for young players. Yeah. Um, would you, are you comfortable, confident in, in Markstrom coming back next year? Um, You know what? I think it, it's a different year. Uh, last year he was fantastic this year you know probably average year so yeah you hope next year he's coming back and he's going to be great but this year's not over yet right so no it's not and i I don't you know there's still two games to be played and and the reason i asked that (coughs) question is you you would have seen that too i mean you know the guy you mentioned grant fuhrer you know parts of his career was outplayed by andy moog um you know Vern was really good in 86 and excellent in 89 um, there's ups and downs with goalies. I just don't know when the, uh, you know, that yeah. tipping point comes, right? Yeah, and I don't know when the tipping point comes either. But, you know, once again, you know, uh, Lador was playing really well. Yeah. Like, so my thing is, you know, don't look at what you're paying guys because you're paying the whole team, right? It's like, we got to win and here's my, yeah. you know, here's what we're paying guys. So don't play guys by how you pay them, right? Uh, 
that's a good lesson for any coach in the league. You you know, you play who's playing well. And if you can play who's playing well, and if you've got two goalies that are, you know, one guy might not be playing great, the other guy is, mm-hmm. you go with the guy who is. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if that's a, you know, a five-game run or a ten-game run, whatever it is, you're going with them. And then you put the other guy in. Because it's tough as a player when you go, hey, I'm playing great, but yeah. they're going to let the other guy play because he's, uh, you know, he's a first-round draft choice or he's, you know, the highest-paid guy or he's the number one goalie. Right. You know, so I, 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 really, I truly believe, you know, you got to go with the guy who's on a roll, especially in that. The other one that I want to pick your brain on is not having a captain. I, I think it's insane. Yeah, I I agree with you. Okay. I, you know what? I think you need a leader. Uh, you need a leader for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, we had tons of leaders yep. on those teams that I, you know, yep. I played on in the 80s. You had three captains. We had three <laughs> captains, you know, and, I, you know, and then we had, you know, obviously Lanny and Pep, you know, yep. two great captains. And, and you go... Um, we had guys that would go talk to the coach that represent the team and the coach, you know, dealt with them on whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the media, for, you know, uh, the luncheons we used to have, all those things. I mean, it sounds really small, but, but it's big in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, when, when you have just assistant captains and every other team in the league in almost every other sport too now, as a captain, yeah, you know, and we're the only team that doesn't. We haven't had one for two years. So, well, you know, are you telling me that you know maybe there there isn't that leadership in the room? Well, I think there is. I think that there's probably about three or four guys you could say, hey, you know, you're putting the C on and and yeah. let's go, and you're in charge, and you know, that I I I believe that there should be a captain. Yeah, and to his credit, Daryl talks a lot about the leadership group, and, and I think we know who's in that. We know Tanev yeah. and Coleman and Lindholm and Anderson and, and Backlund. But I do know, you know, again, not the cap or not the coach, so I don't get to make the decision. I, I don't know why Michael Backlund hasn't worn the C for the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and I go, so you say, well, that leadership group, are you calling that leadership group in? Does the leadership group get together and everybody comes in to talk to the coach, or is the coach just taking one player and talking right. to him? I don't know. Right. And that's why, you know, I'm not on that inside of the game. So I don't know. But I know traditionally that's what your captain has done. You know, your captain's a guy, he's a leader, you know, he's compassionate. He works with, you know, guys who are feeling down, who, you know, to the guys who are playing great to, you know, helping whatever the team needs from, from the coaches or from the organization. Yeah. It, 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 I don't, I don't think it's the be all end all. It's just, no, it's just, I think at the end of this year and you you know, you've been here for a lot of them. I've been here for, you know, 20 of them now. it just it feels like there's going to be a whole bunch of questions this year. Not necessarily in the way of, you know, why didn't you do this? More of, well, why, 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 why? What, what, what happened here? Yeah. Right? And I, as you said, because we all looked at it and said, they're a better team on mm-hmm. paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it out of the realm of possibility that this team would come back next year and perform to the level that it, it should? Well, I mean, it very well could, but I'm sure there's going to be some there's changes. There's always change, yeah. And there always will be changes, yeah, yeah. right? So, you, you know, you just hope that the changes aren't massive like they were last year. Like, and nobody was counting on, you know, two giant changes last year. I think, you know. No, that's true. You know. Uh, yeah. it, one triggered the other. One triggered the other, and, yeah. you know, and I mean, it happened. And uh, so that changes your whole outlook of your team and your organization. But we brought in, you know, three quality players. 
for those two guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you would have done individual trades, you said three for two, you probably would have done that, you know, or been very close to it. You know, I, yeah. you know, I know there was some draft choices included, but um, yeah. So I, I personally thought they were way better and that's, what's going to be discussed after, you know, why this, why that, why that. What completely unrelated, but when you look at an off season, of change, what, what was the, the story or what was the transition like between Bob and, and Terry? When you went, you know, you went from a coaching legend to another guy who came in and, yeah. you know, ends up getting the cup, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it takes time because, you know, no matter who you're coaching or what you're coaching, you know, you have some favorites that you yep. like and kids that, you know, you know, I can put them on here and, you know, players can put on here. Um, so there's that adjustment period. There's adjustment period for the style of game we were playing, for the way that, you know, Badger coach versus Crispy, you mm-hmm. know, from, you went from an X's and O guy, you know, to high energy guy. So that was, you know, it was, it was a big change and yeah, you adjust to it. Either you adjust or you phase out, you know, you're, yeah. you're gone. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, back in the day, the coach probably had, I don't know, you know, they, they would change players out before they changed the coach. Yeah. You know, yeah. you look at the longevity of the coaches over that time, you know, you know, probably five years was an average, you know, three to five years. Now, now you look at it, it's probably two to three years. Well, around here it is. Yeah. I mean, because 400, 401 games is not a lot of games. Yeah. When you think about it. John Cooper's been in Tampa Bay for 10 years. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'd be interested, and I don't know this stat, how many, you know, coaches Michael Backman's had as a flame. You know, he's played 900 and some games. Uh, well, he would have had Brent, and then he would have had Bob, and, and then he would have had Glenn, and then he would have had Bill, and then he would have had Jeff, and now he's had Daryl. Yeah. And Daryl drafted him too. Let's yeah. throw that one in there. I'm I feel like I'm missing one in that group. But I, yeah, it feels like. But I go, that's eight or nine guys, right, or seven or eight, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely, go, that's a lot of different coaches to adjust your style, which speaks to the longevity and what a great player Michael Backlund is and how coachable he is. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Yeah. But I also wonder a little bit about the the John Cooper part. Yeah, um, because I. I I, I, I've opined on this, and I'd, I'd love to run it off you. I, I look at John Cooper, and I go, I wonder how much that is the leadership core of that team, that he doesn't have to be the bad guy. He, the, the captains take care of the bad stuff. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you have longevity, you know what the coach wants. Yeah. You know what yeah. the organization wants. But then the leaders know that, The leaders right? know that. So yeah. when you go, hey, you know what? don't do this because the coach is not going to like this. Yeah. You know, whether you think it's a great idea or not, the coach is not going to like this. So I wouldn't do that. And if the, if the player does that, then, you know, typically guys are talking to him again. And then once a coach talks to him, it's typically, you know, uh, my way or the highway. But when you've got coaches changing every year, you know, it, it's a, it's tough to play for that. Sure it and, is. and if you're, if you're looking at grabbing uh, free agents, you know, yeah, you're a free agent. You like uh, the coach they have now, and then in a year and a half, the guy's gone, and all of a sudden, the new coach comes in, and you're going, "Boy, I, I might not fit his style, mm-hmm. or he might not like me." Or you know, there's all those things where you go, if you're a team that has, you know, a John Cooper, for example, you go, "I like him. I know he's going to be around." Yeah, I'll, I'll go there. Well, you also know what the expectation is too. Yeah, right, hundred um, percent. Let's transition a little bit because uh, you are wearing the black hat. Of the uh, Calgary Flames alumni, um, which is not appropriate at all, 
right? No, but it's a hat. It's a hat. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the work of the alumni, which continues to be very, very busy. Um, I believe we are really close to uh, handing out adapted bikes, are we not? We are. That's next weekend. That's next okay. Saturday. Or this Saturday coming up. Right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about so that. So it's the uh, CP Kids and Family Adaptive Bike Program. And what we do is kids with cerebral palsy, we, we help uh, raise money so that they can get bikes that they can adapt to each child's uh, particular situation. Yeah. Whatever their need is, uh, the bikes are adapted to that. And over the years, I think we've probably supported about uh, a thousand bikes. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, a thousand kids that get to ride a bike for whether it's the first time or they get to continue riding a bike, continue to be able to be part of a family yep. of their family and do stuff with their family or do stuff with their friends. And that's so important. It is, you know, absolutely. And it's one of our best days. You know, when you raise money for stuff, it's great. You know, it's really good. But when you can see your money going in action and helping people and seeing their results and the response from it, it's pretty amazing. From, from you know, the kids are so excited, but the parents are so excited too. Yeah. And, you know, the bikes uh, are... As I said, they're they're adapted for every particular need for the child. So not one fits all. No, and it you know there's uh, you know I don't know all the terminology, but uh, when you sit back and you go to these fittings and they go, well, we need to adjust the bike for this particular child, and then they can reuse another bike. But these bikes are you know I think they're fifteen hundred dollars easily, each. yeah, yeah. fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars each to to retrofit and adapt these bikes. But it's a great program. We raise money for them uh, through our golf tournament, Mm -hmm. which we call the Masters, um, different than the one that was just on. Uh, (laughs) I don't think that different. (laughs) But, yeah, so we raise great money for them, and our guys are committed to the program. So we're doing a bike fitting on Saturday, this coming Saturday. What I like the most about it is now they're very common around town. Right, yeah. it's not you. You can drive or be down in Fish Creek or wherever, and you're gonna see a, a child on a bike that you know was part of that program. Is part of that program. That's the best part, right yeah. now, because you've been doing it. There's some longevity. There's some turnover. There's, you know, it's it's part of of you know just being in Calgary on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You're gonna run into one. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Now, yeah. you know, on that too is you know there are the Special Olympics. You know that we support. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know you see the special olympians around town with some flames alumni jackets yep, on that's you right. and you go you know you're having an impact absolutely and and with the 2024 uh, Canada Winter Games here next year I imagine uh, going to be really busy too I think it will yeah um, another program that I'm really excited well I get the puck right oh, yeah, is the yeah, yeah. Uh, second year in a row uh, that you'll be teaming with uh, Hockey Calgary for a I like it because it's a pathway to participation a bunch of kids that. They got an opportunity to get equipment and try hockey. Now you're going to get them on the ice. And, and what's the best part about this, Patter, is that it's right before a hockey registration. So it really gives the families a good opportunity to see what it's all about. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it is it is before that. And, and it does give you know a lot of different kids the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guys get back out and get to coach a little bit. Yeah. And that's, you know, whether that's good or bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that remains to be seen. Uh, and then uh, reverse, I'll just give you a, a quick update. Um, I was at the uh, Dungeon Wrestling event on Friday with the Kelms. So Noah the goalie yeah. and Ty were there. 
Uh, I do have to let you know that uh, Noah went after a manager in a wheelchair who was part of the, the one of the events. Uh, he started, and, and Noah, who, as we know, at times won't say a whole lot, uh, really started beaking off this manager. And then Ty, who I believe you and I have maybe heard a combined 20 words from, uh, got very upset when one of the villains was using a foreign object and was screaming at the referee to turn, open his eyes. So oh. I thought that, I, I knew you were coming in. I that wanted to share that. that that's uh, a little off-season superheroes well, update those, for those you. Those two brothers, I mean, they stick together. <laughs> they, oh, there, yes. They were, they were raising hell at wrestling on oh, Friday, so it was great. a whole lot of fun. Um, but we should point out that, uh, and congratulate uh the, the alumni uh, further supporting superheroes with a, a, a significant donation this past week. Yeah, we donated $15,000 to the superheroes program. And, uh, you know, Rob, we can talk about it. Superheroes all, all, all day long. I mean, it's yep. such a great program helps kids that have, you know, between autism and Down syndrome and everything in between play hockey. And it's been going on for eight years and it's every Sunday we have, there's three ice times mm-hmm. at uh, Max Bell. We had, there was 23 sessions this year, 23 days. On ice, yeah. Yeah, and we had 20 different alumni yep. participate. You know, some guys obviously more than once, but it, well, it's pretty yeah, special. Yeah, that would be you. Well, and, and, uh, there's a couple of us. <laughs> and Zach Smith, Smith really, yeah. he threw Except his name up, in there. Yeah, yeah, and you know what I mean? So it's, it's really neat to see that program because all the kids want to do is, you know, learn how to play hockey. They want to be part of a team. Mm-hmm. And... The parents want to be part of a team. And, you know, I look at, you know, the teams that we have. We have three different ice times, and each one of them has a makeup of any team I've ever played on. You know, you got a guy who's funny, you got a real good player, you got somebody with great hands, you've got the one who, you know, doesn't talk much. And, you know, so it's really neat to see the makeup of the team, and the kids just love it. Uh, They they come out and they have such amazing time. But we wrapped it up this year with the game against the alumni, and we had, you know, the alumni, and then we had uh, three girls from. The uh, Mount Royal team who just won, won the Canadian yeah. Championship, and yeah. um, it was really neat. The kids they played that was the the most energy I've seen, and and the best they've skated. Every one of them, it wasn't just one kid; it was every kid. They were so excited. I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity. And had I known I was going to do this, I probably would have uh, grabbed a photo for uh, Gav to put up. But I just want to talk about the relationship that you've created with one of our young players, Grayson, who uh, has gotten over the, well, last three years or four years, I guess. um, You and Grayson have have created this connection. um, And to me, I I say this all the time, and and I hope you appreciate it as a former NHLer. Hockey is not a static thing. Hockey is whatever the, person needs it to be and you've created this environment for uh Grayson where uh we never thought he would his dad it was his dad was the only dad that was allowed to be on the ice in the program just because that was the only and now his dad is a hockey parent in the stands that's a that's got to be a unique experience for you it was and it was a great experience it was tough let me tell you I thought you know it would take a couple of weeks and it ended up taking about two years of you know constantly being with him out in the ice and then on for me, I had a you know knee surgery uh, in January, so I couldn't be on the ice as we mm-hmm. all know. And so when I got back out for that alumni game, I think he was mad at me. He was like, "Where you been? <laughs> Don't use a knee as an excuse." <laughs> well, we sh- we should put uh, we we should put out uh, just you know put it out there too that unbeknownst to us, you and Grayson were skating on your own too. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> it's been great. He's a great little guy, and you know what? Uh, I hope he continues playing. And and that's the whole thing. Well, that's like, the whole like, thing, right? Like any any 
child that you you coach, you know, throughout the years, you just hope they keep playing. Yeah. It's funny, I ran into uh, a young guy that, well, he's now 30, which still is very young to me. He played with my son, and I coached him. Yeah. And I said, you know, are you still playing? He goes, no, I'm not. I said, well, you got to get back into it. Because that's why we coach. You know, yeah. you, you coach people. It's not to play in the NHL. It's nope. not to play junior hockey. Nope. You know, we all end up in the same league. Yep. It's, you know, whether you want to call it old-timer hockey or the beer league, uh, that's where we end up. And I always felt that as a coach, I wanted to make the game and teach kids so that they could play, mm-hmm. you know, forever. Sport for life. Yeah. Right. And if you understand, you know, how to skate, maybe a little bit of stick handling, how to shoot, and where to go on the ice, you can play a long time. Yeah, and I think if anything, it's it's also about that camaraderie, right? Yeah. It's about being part of something, yeah. and and we see that every Sunday. The, oh, the power of that, right? Absolutely. I mean, and as such as the superheroes program, is just heartwarming, but it's a just a fabulous program. Yeah, really yeah. fabulous. Well, we're lucky to have you. Oh, you. Um, okay, to wind down here. Um, this is a week in which the NHL season is winding down, um, and part of that is bonuses there might be some players trying to get bonuses can you share with me <laughs> your story um because you had you know you you played on a really effective line you know at the height of the the, the best flames era um and you also were eligible for bonuses um can you tell us the story about your plus minus bonus yeah so i'll just i'll take it back to my first contract where, okay. I, where I had a bonus if i scored 50 goals I'd get 50,000. <laughs> Nobody told me it had to be in the same year. <laughs> so, you know, once I came up for my next contract and I did my own, after that, I did my own contract. And, yeah. you know, looking at individual bonuses, you just went, well, you know, what really applies to me? And one that did was plus minus. So I worked with Clef Fletcher over the years, you know, plus minus. And, you know, it started, you know, top in the, the league, the team, and then, you know, worked its way down to, you know, probably the top five. Right. And so this particular year you're talking about in 1989, uh, I was playing on a line with Doug Gilmore and Joe Mullen. And we we had a pretty good line. Yeah. yeah. And going into the final game, um, I was plus 46. Joe was plus 48. And Doug Gilmore was, I think, plus 46 as well. And I had a bonus for top in the league, Second in the league and third in the league, so I was ten thousand if I got first, seventy five hundred if I was second, okay. five thousand if I'm third. Okay. On the team, I had the same amounts. Okay. So I'm going, man. I'm two blind Joe Mullen. I said, you know, if I can somehow work, you know, work my changes and you know, jump out if if we score and sure. try and get my number in there, which you know worked previously. Um, you know, I'm going. I might be able to at least tie him. And if I'm tied, I'm, you know, I'm getting that. And then, you know, if, if I come second, I mean, that's, you know, so if I come first, it's 20,000. Yeah. Come second, it's 15, third, because there was nobody else in the league that was close to us, and right. nobody else in the team. Right. So comes out, we're playing the Oilers. Uh, I take a penalty, and I'm sitting in the penalty box, and they put Joe Mullen and Doug Gilmar out to kill the penalty. I go, well, they, they really never kill penalties a, a whole lot. Well, don't they go down and score? And they, get, they, get, they get a plus. Get a plus. Yeah. So now I go, okay, he's 46. You know, now now Doug's 47, or, yeah, 47. Molly's 49 now, and I'm still at 46. My penalty ends, and I swear to God, I, the door opens. I put my foot on the ice, 
Edmonton scores, which is a minus for me. I pick my foot up. I try and get back in the penalty box. But remember old Bert in the penalty box? He's shutting the door. You know, you got to get out there. I got to guys. I can't get out there. So now I got to you know, skate a shame over to the bench. So now I'm, I'm plus 45. And then those guys. And so then we get a, we get a, you know, we're playing and our line's up. Well, you know, Gary Roberts and I are changing for each other. Well, he doesn't come off, but Hoke and Lube and uh, Doug Gilmore, or Hoke and Lube and uh, Newey come off, and so Mullen and Doug Gilmore, got, sure enough, they score. I'm like, Gary Roberts comes off and go, what the frick, you, you know? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I just stepped out there, you know? And so, needless to say, I end up third. And I, I always say I cost, you know, it was a, the $10,000 penalty it cost me because instead of, you know, getting that ten grand, or you know, I, I ended up with five and... Yeah, and five in each. So when I look at it, you know, it was five, five, and, you know, I missed out on the other five. So, uh, you know, it was a $10,000 penalty. It just killed me. I was, and so afterwards, I told Molly the story. He goes, well, why didn't you tell me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They would have helped for oh, sure, right? Help me, yeah. 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 Um, one last one for you. It was last week, uh, Peter Marr was mentioning it, that uh, Hoken Lube uh, scored 50. It was the anniversary yeah. of that. Only Swedish player ever to score 50, which... It's crazy. Peter Forsberg hasn't yeah. done it. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I always, you, you played with him. I always found him to be just a really neat guy. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the magic man, Kent Nielsen, was aloof. And, you know, some of the Europeans were, you know, it's different for them. What was what was Lube like? Luber was just a great guy. He was a, a real competitor, too. Mm-hmm. And he was a hard worker. He was, you know, I mean, the Swedes at the time would always get, you know, they're soft, they're soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a tough little guy. And uh, he was a team player. He wasn't worried about his stats. He was more about the team. And he was a great team player and a a great guy. You know, he he embraced being over here. Mm -hmm. Where some players back in the day were like, well, I don't really want to know if I want to be in North America. But, you know, he embraced it and did it. And, yeah, just a fabulous person. Like, just, you know, beyond the hockey, just a fabulous guy. And, you know, so many, you know, great memories of him. But I remember we were playing Philadelphia, and uh, they had uh, Glenn Cochran. Sure. He was a big guy, like a huge guy, and he had this big beard. And, you know, he must have done something to Luber. Luber got on the bench and was like, you know, something, something, caveman. (laughs) And... He just looked over, and I was like, you know, I was right beside Luber, and, I, you know, I'm going, I didn't want to say, you know, hey, it was him who said it wasn't me. <laughs> but you're like, oh, my goodness. And then, do you remember the Larmers? They had Jeff and Steve Larmer. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, so yeah. he goes, we were sitting in the dressing room, he goes, you know, I don't like that Slarmer. And we're like, Slarmer, who's that? You know that guy on their team, Slarmer. <laughs> and we go, oh, you know, Steve, Steve Larmer. Larmer. Yeah, that's Larmer. yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, he was, Luber was a great guy and a fabulous player. And, uh, uh, you know, and his skating style was, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just so smooth and, you know, pushing outside the side. Really learned a lot from just watching him skate. But he was a, a great guy. And, you know, hey, when we look at the team that we had in 89 and you talk about changes, you know, you lose Lanny, you lose Luber. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the, those things really hurt you because, sure. you know, although you replace them with guys, it's not the same. Yeah. And then the next year you go to... Russia and Russia. the Czech Republic. Yeah. That, that that didn't help. No, it didn't help. And I mean, I think we were sold a bit of a bill of goods too that we wouldn't, you know, practice or we wouldn't play, you know, until a week after we got home because it was exhibition. And sure enough, you know, you get home and then, 
you know, oh, we need these guys to play. You got to play. You got to play. You got to play. And uh, it was, you know, it wasn't as organ. Uh, it was probably it was organized. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't yeah. as as efficient as they have the system now for going sure. over and playing in Europe. You probably both teams weren't on the same charter plane. No with lay down. Yeah, no, pods or whatever. Nothing. No, there wasn't any of that. You know, the yeah. only, if I remember correctly, the only thing that was really redeeming about that trip was the check part. Yeah, right. And it was. I mean, it was a great trip. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it was yeah. a great yeah, experience. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to come back and have to play right away, it was uh, it was tiring. Would yeah. you like to go to Australia? Because apparently well, I would, yeah. they're going to Australia now. Would, yeah, right? they probably need me to go down there now. <laughs> help set up or something, get the guys, make sure they get the good coffee places. I, I got to be honest with you, that when that came up, I was like, I never thought I would hear the day. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's about you know, promoting the sport, sure moving the sport around, you know, China, I mean, lots of different things. So I go and... Did you go to China with... We went over to Beijing years right. before to help sort of seed things and wasn't run Rob, a few clinics. Wasn't Rob Ramage or... No, Barry Beck? Yeah, Barry Beck was there. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, running their hockey program. But yeah, I would love to go to Australia. You know, there's a place in Australia that has these... Uh, lattes in donuts so i'm like that's perfect for me it fits right there. i'm i don't know why we haven't to this point uh, clearly it's, i know it's I'm, about gonna, now. I'm gonna start working on that when yeah. i get home actually. lattes yeah. in donuts yeah. I, are, you, you, are you sure there's nothing in marta loop that does well that? that's I what mean, i'm looking at you know there right. should be i mean there's a lot of great places here thanks pal this was fun oh rob always a pleasure there you go, everybody. Uh, Colin Patterson from the Flames Alumni 89 Stanley Cup champion. And as we found out, $10,000 a little lighter in the, the, in the wallet. Which I, which I could have turned into yeah, a, a lot more. Uh, that would have been it, yeah. I mean, it would have put you over the top. Brought to you by Ski Cellar Snowboard. SkiCellarSnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Three locations. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. 17th Avenue Southwest. Just off of 14th Street. Bow Ridge Road. Northwest by the McDonald's. At the bottom of the hill from Windsport. Coming up in a little while, Ryan. Pike will join us, the managing editor of Flames Nation. Uh, just let you know right now, though, we uh, are going to pop up our reading assignment for today. Uh, it's from an old friend, Keegan Matheson, as a matter of fact, who uh, writes for MLB.com. Even more home runs in Toronto, question mark. New dimensions could do just that. So if you're probably aware, they've done some work uh, at uh, at Rogers Center, the old Sky Dome. Um, they, uh, they've certainly added some really neat things up top for fans in terms of the decks and things. Um, so anyway... Uh, this story is about the dimensions of the ballpark. You always talk, talk about a home field advantage. Uh, according to uh, Keegan and the work that he's done on this, last year uh, the Jays could have seen as many as 19 more runs based on the new configuration of the ballpark. So tell me again about home field advantage. Great article. Check it out. Um, I don't know why we don't do this for... Um, why we don't do this for hockey. We used to do it. The old Boston Garden used to be a little band box, and you could have big teams and things like that. But now everything's, you know, 200 by 100, NHL standard size. Can you imagine if the new event center, if you allowed them to tailor the size of the rink, what you could do? Um, anyway, check it out. Don't laugh. Okay, fine. We'll talk about it. Uh, we're going right to our next guest, brought to you by the Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Check them out. Ryan Pike, the managing editor of uh, Flames Nation, joins us. You're snickering. I'll get to the snickering in a second. I Unfortunately, I feel bad because young Gavin, our producer, is searching around looking for a graphic that he thought I said I sent to him. I didn't. <laughs> so 
Gav, slow down. It's okay, buddy. There was no, he, he's, he's all upset because he can't find it. Uh, I never sent it. That's why he can't find it. Okay, you're the, you're the guru when it comes to the new building. You're the man in all of this. Do you think that NHL teams should have some latitude in terms of the size of their building and, and the ice surface? That's a good question. I, I'm I'm leaning no, if only because if like, I th- I think the challenge would be if you do it smaller, it also limits the types of events you can host. So I think they want they err on the side of making it a little bit more flexible and. Larger. And what events would you? I mean, probably international hockey, right? Or or national hockey league, but baseball did it with the World Baseball Classic. Can't you get past it? I think there, I think there's less organization or internal uh, organization with. Uh, with baseball venues than there is for... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But, I mean, just think... Let's just think this whole thing through. So, you're going to spend three years... I'll I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. Do you know why the New York Islanders were playing in Nassau for as long as they were after initially going into, uh, into the new Brooklyn building? Because it was one of those buildings where it was built just for basketball. Oh, yeah. And so it was, sure. you couldn't see a third of the ice. You couldn't. Same thing in Arizona. You had, uh, when they originally went down there, they played in the, where the Suns. At the America Western. Right. And it was a basketball facility. Yeah. But I'm talking about, like, uh, I cut my teeth in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League in, in Estevan. And the Estevan building, Bruins building, was built the exact same dimensions as the Boston Garden was, the original Boston Garden. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Meanwhile, up the road in um, Wilcox, home of the Notre Dame uh, Hounds, Para Murray built an Olympic-sized ice surface. So in the span of an hour and a half, you could play in the biggest and the smallest rinks in Saskatchewan. And when we played in the playoffs, both teams fought like hell to get home, home ice advantage. They were always seven-game series, and the home, ice team, the home team on home ice won. Um, but can you imagine just for a second right now, if you had that flexibility, what the conversations would be like at the Saddle Dome right now about the new building? Like, what do you want to commit yourself to? Right? Yeah. 
because the the Jays, if the Jays have brought the if they brought the fences in, it's to accommodate home runs and hitting. Well, it works both ways, right? It's going to accommodate the home. It'll accommodate Aaron Judge just as much as it will um, Guerrero, right? Yeah. But if you built the flame, if the flame said, you know what, screw it. The next event center, we're going to have ice that's going to be 190 by 85, right? Well, you know who actually had a, a shorter rink than, than most, right? Who's that? The old Chicago Stadium where Daryl used to play. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was, Absolutely. 15, it was 15 feet shorter than most Right, rinks. right. And I, I believe in Finland, is not is Finnish ice not kind of a hybrid ice between NHL and Olympic? That, yeah, I believe right? so. There's a, there's it's sort a, of that weird middle ground. Right, there's that weird middle ground. The rest of Europe is two hundred. It was like two hundred by one hundred, but it's just Finland. I forget. I think it depends on the venue. Yeah, like, it, it very, might be. It's very much a hodgepodge. But I, I would like that. I would like to be able to pick my ice surface. Um, however, you know, if you picked Olympic ice, let's say, how if you know if you were the Oilers and you picked Olympic ice, how, how do you think Gold McDavid and Drysaitel would like that? <laughs> Right, <clears throat> or do you want to go a little bit narrower or shorter so that they can't get up to top speed? Well, you wouldn't. You want them to no. Well, maybe that's what you do here. You build a night there. There you go. You build a rink. You design a rink to slow down McDavid and Drysital, and they're gone in five years or whatever. Right, and then you're stuck for thirty five years with the dimensions that you've chosen. Um, having said that, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it seems once again like there's no shortage of uh, of newsy topics in this here market. Oh, why? What have well, you heard? I mean, unfortunately, you know the, our friends of the Calgary Hitmen got eliminated by the Red Deer yes. Rebels. They put up a heck of a fight. I think uh, they uh, they face they face an uphill battle, but uh, they had a good run. And, yeah, uh, that year M. Chuck kid's having a good year. I think he he's, is. Uh, he's starting to get some draft buzz. The, the folks at the Athletic, uh, I think Scott Wheeler included uh, uh, a Hitman or two on his uh, his prospective 2024 list. So. Good for them. It, I mean, yeah. it's, it, junior hockey is very much a star-driven endeavor, both on in terms of business and in terms. of I don't of know winning. what you're speaking about, Connor Bedard. You say game seven tonight. I've I've never heard of that player <laughs> yeah. before. Is he any yeah, good? I got. Uh, so I mean, th- those kind of things. Yeah, uh, you know, we had uh, the Wranglers win uh, their fiftieth game of the year. Uh, I believe uh, forty wins for uh, for some goaltender they have. We're so, going to talk about him on this con- in this uh, hit today for sure. Uh, I think uh, Matthew Phillips is uh, a goal, a game winning goal away from setting the the American League single season record. Yeah. Uh, they are, I believe, as of this morning's uh, refresh of the standings, uh, the Wranglers are three points away, either three points that gained by them in their three remaining games against the Abbotsford uh, Canucks or uh, three lost points by the Coachella Valley Firebirds away from clinching first place in the league. Uh, they get a trophy for that, uh, in, and they also get a first-round bye. So, you know, there, it's uh, it's fairly newsy. And then we have uh, the, the National Hockey League Club, which mm. are uh, white-knuckling it right now, and uh, we'll see uh, how long they can hold on for. So, that, okay, interesting about, let's talk about the big club first. Are they white-knuckling, or is it just kind of not official yet? Um, I kind of came away from that game. I started the show today, dude, and I don't know how many times all of us have said it combined. If we all put a quarter in, we could probably build the new arena. But in so many ways, Saturday's game was the season in a nutshell, yeah. uh, right? Like another one of those nutshell games. Having said that, the only thing that I would get, grant them is this was not uh, 
you know, Joe Smith backup goaltender in Pawtucket who came up to make his first NHL start, spun yeah. on his head and, and, and spit wooden nickels. Demko was good. And it's also, I mean, this, you know, second game in a row, second game in nine days against arguably your biggest regular season rival. Yeah. You can make a case for the sure LA. You can. you can make a case for Edmonton as well in terms of, but I think. But in, in terms of playoff, nobody, they haven't played anybody anymore than they yeah, played the I, I think in, historically, I think in, in terms of just important regular season games, Absolutely. Johnny Gaudreau makes his NHL debut and scores a goal against the Canucks. Assisted by? Uh, who was it? Chris Breen. Chris, the Breen Giant. Yep. Good man, Chris yep. Breen. Uh, very, very, Former very, captain of the Providence Bruins. Very tall man. Very tall six man. Eight, six foot seven? Something yeah, like something like that. Uh, built yeah. built like the, the Green Giant. That's yeah, exactly. The Breen Giant, because hockey, hockey, hockey locker rooms are not particularly creative with their nicknames. No, they're not. It was perfect. I couldn't think of a better name for that guy. But, you know, the uh, you know the Flames had that, the line brawl in 2013 that really, sure. uh, I think, crystallized the, their identity and really made them, I think, a team rather than a bunch of guys playing with the same sweater uh, they had I'll do you one better because it's to me it's more important than anything is the Trevor Linden retirement that yeah. was the first time I'd ever seen an, a visiting team go across and shake the hand yeah. of an honor be, be, because one right? guy wearing the C wearing 12 said boys we're gonna yeah. do this and everyone's and, like okay and now it, it's fairly common and I like it but it was started by the flames right in Vancouver yeah. Yeah, so like uh, you know, a lot of really important, like capital I important things have happened sure. to the Flames against the the Canucks. But I mean, if you're the Canucks, you you a week prior you felt like you let one get away. Mm-hmm. I don't think they particularly love the high sticking call in the third period. But I mean, they also got scored on. Like there was, if they have that penalty, if they kill a penalty against a Flames power play that wasn't particularly great in that game, yep. they probably feel better about it, but they felt like they wouldn't get away. And they come in, you know, they have uh, uh, the Hirose kid on the blue line who was very good, uh, Aiden McDonough, who didn't play on Saturday but played in the previous game, one of their up-and-comers. Like, they have a lot. They put in basically, you know, a, a lineup full of guys pushing for jobs or guys who mm-hmm. they have really high hopes for. And, you know, it was... They played well, and they they took it to the Flames early. The Flames were habitually flat, and yep. the Canucks went, "Oh, if these guys are going to play like this. Let's just let's just win on them." And they you know they took advantage of some turnovers. They took advantage of some penalties. They took advantage of some sloppy play. And the Flames for the first I'd say thirty five to forty minutes were the second best team in the ice. Yep. And then they for the umpteenth time came out of the locker room mm-hmm. in the third period, going, "Oh crap, it's two nothing." And give the Flames credit. I mean they. They were in a position where they absolutely had to get something out of that game. A win would have been much better for them. Yep. But they needed to get something out of that game to have any chance in hell of staying alive to, right. to through the weekend. And they pulled it off. Uh, their power play wasn't very good. Uh, they Five on five, they were the better team in the third period. But mm-hmm. in the first half of the game, it was sort of a saw-off. And, the, you know, they I thought in the first two-thirds of the game, they did not play a very good road game. And then the third period, they played a very good road game. Yeah. And they salvaged a point, but... How many times have we, you know, had this conversation of what, you know, they, you know, uh, I, I was uh, I was talking in the other room with uh, the gentleman doing social and clips. Jack, yeah. Jack, yeah, very nice young man. Yep. Uh, but we were talking and, you know, we were, he was clipping uh, Pinder and Boomer clips and he was brought up the, the 52 one-goal games this year and they've they've only won 20. So they've gotten, in one-goal games, they've gotten, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think they're 20-16 and 16 in one-goal games. If you include empty net goals that, you know, games that were 2-1 and then they scored an empty netter. So they're not really one-goal games because it was a one-goal game with goalies involved. Yeah, yeah. So 52, 120 of them got nothing out of 16, got one point out of another 16. That is an 
a tremendous amount of money left on the table. It is, and I think it speaks to something that Daryl identified early on. I don't know if we all appreciated it necessarily when he said it, because we I think we were all kind of thinking, well, he's being critical, but the team doesn't have a game-breaker. Nope. They have... they. The way they play, I mean, you could say Toffoli's the closest thing they have to Game Breaker. Yep. But, you know, the way they play, they play a very structured grinding game. And mm-hmm. It relies on consistency and discipline. Mm-hmm. And both those things are really, really tough, especially if you're not getting the results mm-hmm. that you think you should be getting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you look at the best games they played, I think I would point to, uh, you know, a couple of the games they played against Vegas. I think they were unfortunate to lose, but yep. I think they played very well against Vegas. Uh, but I was thinking specifically that the the home game they played in Lo- against Los Angeles, the 2-1, win uh yeah and they were just they la just never they you know la just never really got going and the flames were you know they figured out a way to yep. not let them get going and then they said okay we're going to dictate the way this game is played and we've seen that at times but i think we've only really seen that for full games maybe less than 10 times well to get the results right yeah. like i would look at that boston game or the rangers game after i mean there was two games after the all-star break in which they were you know you know one was a really good road game can make an argument they deserved a better fate but the best team in the history of the regular season 63 wins by the boston bruins they dominated them at home still managed to find a way not to win yeah and you know if i think the big the big challenge like obviously on the website when this eventually turns into what we all think it'll mm-hmm. be we'll do some obituaries you don't do obituaries on a patient that's still alive unfortunately but that'll that'll come but i think one of the themes will be you know the flames were an excellent to borderline elite possession team. Yeah. But the thing they struggled with is the last 10 feet in either zone. They're Absolutely. The, the, the middle of 180 feet. Excellent. Like they right. dumb, you know, they're when they're at their best, they transition. Well, they cycle the puck, they hold on to the puck. They're patient. They're just very exacting and tactical. Yeah. But I think the challenge is the mistakes they've made this season in the last 10 feet and the, and the first 10 feet have completely I, I, made uh, what, the, yeah, the games they've made in the other 180 not really mean as much. I, I think that's that's a really astute observation. I think it's the best way to put it. The, oh, the, the start in ten and the finishing ten. And, and I, I think I think that's if you're if you're a fan of the club, I think that's probably you know that might be one of the things that makes the most frustrating because you know the the shape of their game is excellent. Mm-hmm. The details in mm-hmm. those two areas though aren't. Yeah. I have brought this up to you before. I have no way of proving my theory, uh, but whenever anybody brings up their 16 overtime losses or shootout losses or the one-goal games, um, I mean, that was as fun in overtime. It was weird in overtime. 90 seconds of nothing, and then the last was just, let's set everybody's hair on fire, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I, I contend the one thing I would always want to know about this particular season was could Matthew Phillips have made a difference in that scenario? I don't think Matthew Phillips was necessarily going to make a difference in a big, heavy game like the L.A. game. But in a game like that... Case in point, Vancouver benched Kuzmenko for the better part of the third period. First guy over the boards for the shootout. Right. And I mean, Kuzmenko, is he a player? Is he a complete initial player? I'd say no. Right. Is he a player that could help a team like Vancouver win? Yes. Yeah. Is Vancouver, you know, a team that's not currently in the playoff mix and hasn't been in a while? Do they have the luxury of being able to address a guy yeah. like that? Oh, yeah, of course. It's, it's a sort of sure. different situation. But I think in terms of just sort of figuring out the roles that you want to fill on your team. But your power play wasn't good enough when it needed to be. Your mi- you, it's, it's a, again, that astute line of the 10 feet. Why wasn't Matthew yeah. Phillips given a legitimate opportunity? Again, 
he may turn out to be Austin Zarnick, and that's not a knock against Austin Zarnick, who's a really nice kid, and, really good kid. And Carve had a pretty good pro career, all things considered. Right, but isn't a full-time NHLer. Yeah. And and maybe that's maybe that's going to be what happens to Matt Phillips in two or three years. People can go see you were wrong. I might be mm-hmm. wrong, but that's the one thing that haunts me about this year. Yeah. Well, there's what there's. Uh, you know, let's do the quick math. Twenty 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 three full time gigs in the NHL. Thirty two teams. That's about seven hundred or so uh, NHL jobs. Yeah. And so you can make a good case that Matthew Phillips is one of the top eight hundred players in the world in the sport he plays. Yeah. Uh, that the last seven hundred gigs are the toughest gigs to get and keep. Yep. And yep. there's plenty of really, really good players who circle the airport. Like Crash Davis. Yeah. And no, circle the airport, can't land. Right. There's plenty of guys like that. You know, there's plenty of them who have been in this organization. And right. some of it is, you know, uh, you know the guys on, on uh, Barnburn have talked about, you know, could Phillips turn into another Marty St. Louis? Could be, but Marty St. Louis, you know, when I was here, when he was here, Marty St. Louis didn't blow the doors off. No, Marty no, Saint no, Louis no. Marty St. made it very easy to get oh, rid of yeah. Marty St. Louis. 100%. I would make a case that in terms of guys who aren't at that level yet, Phillips, his boxcar, his performance at the level below has been much better than Marty St. Louis was. And I, I, I go back to, and, and not everybody agrees with this take, and, uh, you know, what you have really illustrated too, by the way, is that, you know, when li- when you listen to Daryl Sutter and you play his system, analytically it can be effective for the most part. The tail end, the beginning, the goalies, I think, were a different story. Yeah. Which is a long way of me getting to, um, I just, you know, I, 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 I wonder about the role of the modern day coach. Um, if the modern day yeah. coach doesn't have to be more of a teacher than he has been in the past or more open to players i i think the one thing you can say about brad true living if you coach for brad true living you get a really healthy say in player conversations yep. you know that, that's been uh, hartley that's didn't been hartley didn't like back uh Berchi, so Berchi got, was gone huh? right and again Berchi, he he made it easy for them to not keep him around he you know i i vividly think back to the brian burke 200 foot or three all, there's three zones you got to play in comment he made when we yeah. asked him about him and i think in I think but 2014 I, or 2015 but i'm not trying to out anybody and i don't say this trying to be a, a a dink about this but did you or somebody at flames nation not write a story about the compelling argument to trade michael backland like seven eight years ago when he was a youngster yeah, there was there was there was compelling that happened so that's that's my point is you're right about Berchi, but the job of Barb Hartley wasn't to run him out of town. It was to make it work. Yeah. And and I think the, the job of Daryl Sutter wasn't to say he's too small. It was to make it work. I At think, least that's I, how I, I think. I think it depends, you know, like, the, you know, no, not, not knowing what the, and again, I'm not the, trying to be, a not knowing what the marching orders are from, from up on high. I mean, you know, on the optics seem to be, you know, especially, you know, the, the marching orders, I believe Brad was given was get in the mix quick. And so yeah. a lot of the things they did were, early on trying to make moves to turn the rebuild into, okay, you're close. Okay. You're closer. Okay. And sort of get that progression very quickly. I I agree. And in in that case though, like if you, if you think like, say if you're the 14, 15 flames, you're the find away flames, you can, you have some, some runway to that team make, did that team damage this team more, this organization more than we know? Did it not give one of the most incredible false sense of security? I think the case be made because I, I, you know, if you're, I think, I think the the I love this phrase and I always appreciate Jay Feaster to for for introducing it. Intellectual honesty, yes, being, being clear about what are you doing Absolutely. here and what are you? 
Yep. And I think the biggest challenge is when you're winning, even if you're winning ugly, yeah. you pro- the, the glass, the, the rose cutter glasses probably look extra rosy. <laughs> and when you're losing, even if you're right there, everything seems like, you know, the sky is falling. Like, I agree. It's, it's a results-driven industry. So I think a lot of time it's really tough to divorce yourself from the results and get into the process. And I think that's probably one of the things that, you know, has really driven the the rise of the analytics movement in, in professional sports, having people be like, okay, but why are you losing? Like if the idea is, Agreed. if the idea is you're losing, you know, you're, you're wildly outplaying, but your power play is no good. Okay, that's a reason. You can fix that. That could be tactics. Yep. That could be personnel. Like you can figure out what you don't have. Yep. And I think the big challenge is, you know, I'd say, you know, what was, I think the big challenge is overcorrecting because we've seen the Flames coaching staff, you know, Bob Hartley was a taskmaster. Okay, players stop responding to that. Okay, so you get Gullison, who's much more of a player's coach. But there's, you know, we had the same thing after Daryl left. When Daryl stopped being the head coach, you go to Jim Playfair, who was much more of a player's coach than Daryl was. And then, oh, okay, that's not quite working. So you overcorrect another direction. and Bring in know, Mike Keenan. Yeah, bring in Mike Keenan. And yeah. then, okay, that doesn't work as well. So then you go and you get bring in Brent Sutter. Okay, th- th- how is that working? Well, it doesn't work as well. And then you go to Hartley. And then it's sort of been the oscillation I between agreed. hard asses and... Yeah. And players' coaches. Yeah, and I, th- and I think there's... I think now especially the the role of you know the, I think the Flames have been very good at recruiting and developing really smart young players mm-hmm. and, and very smart young coaches. I mean mm-hmm. Ryan Huska is an up and comer. He interviewed I believe this offseason Detroit. This past off was in Detroit. He was yeah. the runner up for that position from what I'm told. Yeah. And you know, he's got a reputation. Uh, you know, Mitch Love is probably going to win or be a strong contender for his second consecutive uh, Coach of the Year award, yeah. coaching the best team in the regular season. You know, a team that I think they lost something like, you know, they scored 240 goals the year before. 140 of those goals walked out the walked out the door in the you know between the start of the regular the, between the playoffs and the start of the regular season, and they're better than they were a year yep. ago with on paper. What should be a worse team? Yep. And a lot of things went well. A lot of guys developed well. Uh, Kale McLean, all, another guy they brought up. So I think, you know, that's my long way of saying, I'm really curious if they can get creative because we've seen, you know, the the advent of associate coaches. We've seen the advent of maybe young head coaches. We've seen the model in hockey ops with yeah. the new GM and, uh, you know, a president, president of hockey, hockey ops or vice president yeah. of hockey ops yeah. that, you know, the, the flames did that with, with Brian Burke. They had yeah. Brian Burke and they they Brian really wanted to bring in. They, he, the only guy he talked to for the job formally was Brad your living. Yep. And uh, he told this story, basically told Kent King, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll interview him. He'll come meet you guys. If you guys hate him, I'll talk to somebody else, but this is the guy. I think That's the guy I want. Yeah. And so, but they thought it was really important you know, beforehand, like they had Brian on as a, as an interim guy yep. and they just like the idea of having Brian as a resource. Yeah. Brian knew everybody. So it would help if he needed any, anybody to help him connect with people, but just, you know, having somebody who's done the job and having a veteran guy. And I think potentially, you know, could you see a young head coach with like a Kirk Muller as associate coach? Maybe, maybe you do want to have like a veteran head coach with a, a really young staff that he can develop. Maybe. I think a lot of it depends on what you want to do, but I think a lot of the conversation will stem from the whole what went wrong thing from this season, because the thing that, the thing I think that makes me anxious is the idea of overcorrecting where it's like, okay, you have a team that's I think fourth in the league and expected goals uh, percentage, uh, but they're just, dr- they got bad goaltending and they couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the last 10 feet, 
make sure you don't throw away the 180 feet that worked really, really well. And how do you figure out ways to really address the last 10 and the first 10? Because if you can, if, if it's just sort of, oh, you're, you're, you know, you need to make a tactical tweak on your, on your blue right. line group or how your forward support your defense or right. whatever, that fixes one end. And then if you fix one, of the other, one or the other, you're probably good enough to make it. You're probably good enough to be a very good team. It's just, a, it's, I think there's some challenges. Lots of teams are unlucky in one way or the other. The teams sure. are unlucky in both. I don't think unlucky absolves them of the mistakes they made in those areas. No, no. And I think that'll be the challenge. Sort of, sort of divorcing the, the puck luck from the gaffes, from the mistakes, from the you, structural stuff. You, you're, you're wording, I, I like your wording a lot because the overcorrection part, uh, you know, really hit home. And it, I, I've been chewing on this for, you know, a week now, which was Daryl Sutter becoming the all-time uh, you know, coaching uh, record for games by the Flames at 401. And that's in two stints. Two stints. And, and one and, guy... And, and two, two interim, two, uh, two part-time right. years. Too. And, and, right. And, and the one guy did it for 400, who's considered, you know, arguably the best coach here in Calgary. But the, the organization's been in Calgary for 40 years. And 400 is your benchmark? Yeah. And, and since, I think since Bob Johnson, Johnson left, they've never had a coach coach for more than four years. Right. And, and, and I keep going back to John Cooper. Why are you going to John Cooper? Because John Cooper, if I remember correctly, was a young available coach in the American Hockey League when Hartley was hired. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have taken Hartley. I, I think he was still in Syracuse back then. I think he was right. early in his, in his crunch phase but while, I think when, people, when Tampa was bringing him along. But I think people knew who he was, right? Yeah. That sort of thing. Now he's been in, in Tampa for 10 years. Is he a hard ass? Is he a player's coach? A little both. A little bit of both. I keep going back, and I had this conversation with Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff last year, last week, and I just had it with uh, Patterson, so I don't know why I wouldn't have it with you. I think the secret to coaching now is to get somebody in the middle, and you really rely on your, your leadership group. I think your yeah. leadership group has more of a role now to play as a communicator of team structure, yeah. right? And that's how you that's how you have longevity as a coach. You don't burn out yelling and screaming and and all and being yeah. too friendly. Well, I mean, all, all due respect to the guys involved, but you know, Glenn Gulson didn't play high end professional hockey, so I think you know, and I think that was the problem that Jim Playfair had at times, where you have at some at some points guys who haven't played or guys who didn't play a ton have credibility problems, which it happens. Cooper's it, a know. lawyer. Yeah, but I think I think the other thing is like if you're if you're John Cooper, you go into that room and yeah. you can be like, "Hey, I've coached all of you before." Like I I don't like yeah. if you're if you're an AHL player, you're not going to go to management and be like, "Who the hell is this guy to yeah. tell me what to do?" Yeah. So if you're the Flames, you can bring in guys who, all due respect to their <laughs> as coaches, yep. did not have great professional careers. I mean, yep. you know, Ryan Huska as a coach, he's he's an exceptional coach. He's one of my favorite people to talk about hockey with because mm-hmm. he's just got a mind for it. Yep. So does Love, so does Huska, yep. or so does uh, Kale McLean. Kale McLean, yeah. Uh, and they all come in with a really unique perspective. And sure, they didn't have a lot of success as pros, but I think they have a really good perspective and some self-awareness about what didn't work for them and what can work at other levels. Yeah. And, you know, Ryan Huska, you know, if if you're an AHL player, if you go to your manager and go, if you, you think anyone went to Brad went, I don't know. This guy didn't really do much in the NHL. Why am I listening to him? No, you're going. Okay, I'm 20, 21, 22 years old. This guy has some has some success at other mm-hmm. levels of coaching. I'm going to listen to this guy. And then they had success. And then, and then gradually, if the culture of the team is we don't care who you are, we just like good ideas. Mm-hmm. And then your coaching staff is full of like. I'll say this. I think it, I think it helps the Flames. I mean, you know, I'll say this. The the areas where the Flames have done well, I think t- for tactics. 
are the blue line group because yes. they've sort of had a, a, a hodgepodge a of guys yeah. uh, and the penalty kill. Yeah. And both of them are the things that Huska's in charge of. And both of them have a lot of young guys that Huska coach at other levels. Yeah. So I don't think Dylan Dubé goes into the PK or Manjipani or any of the blue liners goes there and going like, I don't know why he wants us to do the check press. Yep. Uh, you know, what does this guy know? They go and going, well, I had this guy a couple of years ago and he was awesome. I'm going to listen to him because we had success Yeah. or he made me better. Yep. And I think if you have an entire locker room full of guys who ha- are indoctrinated to that type of thinking, mm-hmm. I think it makes, it makes things gel together a lot better. That said, there's a lot of different ways to have be successful. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of really, you know, hard ass coaches in the NHL who sure. are sort of are part of the old school who have success. I don't know how much longevity they have because, you know, you said if you if your entire, I, I, Darryl, I think Brad, Bob Hartley is a good example. Bob Hartley was brought in to teach a very young group with very little amounts of NHL experience and established talent how to be pros. And so you can say, you know, hey, we need you to play this way. Work hard, work hard. Habits, habits, habits. That'll get you so far. But once you hit the ceiling of where hard work and habits can get you, and you go, okay, coach, we're kind of bumping up our heads against this. What do we do? And his his trump card is to say, work harder. At a certain point, you you know, if someone says to you, Rob, you need to work harder, you're like, that's that's your coach. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have something more than that. And similarly, you know, I, I think if once you have... You know, a, a group that has good habits and has a good mindset and has, uh, you know, uh, an orientation towards that kind of success. I think it makes it a lot easier for them to be open minded about those things. But yeah. it needs to sort of be something that happens at all the different levels, so that by the time you get to the NHL level, you're not going, "Well, what's going on here?" You have to be sort of used to it. So, are you alluding to there being a coaching change this offseason? I have no idea. I, I have if, no if idea. If you t- I have no, no idea uh, either. I, I, really I, don't. I have. I think. Uh, Frank Saravalli on uh, on various programs if it's alluded to. I think I think on uh, the daily the DFO rundown, I think he alluded to like the, there's a chance neither of them is back. Yeah. You know, I don't I personally don't think that both the co- current coach and the current GM are back next season. And the Kingmaker's the owner. One, it's one or the other. The Kingmaker's could, could be neither. The Kingmaker's the owner. He's, it's gonna. That's gonna. It's gonna go right up to the top. What what Murray Edwards wants to do. Yeah, and you know, if if I if I assigned a head coach to a two year extension, and then it became evident to me during the the year before the extension that it might not be a good fit. If I think I can win more or be more financially successful with somebody else, I'll just cut a check. If you know, if, I, if I'm if I'm. Well, I if, want to be your friend. Well, that, that, that's the thing, though. Like, if you're like, if you, if someone comes to me with a plan saying, "Okay, here's here's a, a roadmap for getting the team back on track," yeah, and but the the catch is, it's a good plan, but you need to cut a check. If the plan's good enough, I'm cutting a check. Yeah, but the plan's got to be good. Yeah, especially if I'm also cutting a check for a building that's probably gonna be nine figures. I don't want to be spending too much of my my money <coughs> at all. So, you know, I'm sorry. Did you just say nine figures? That's what it was last time. Yes, you're right. Nine sorry, figures. sorry, sorry. Nine yeah, okay, sorry. Ten figures is where we would have. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't think anyone's cutting a check. Math. For 10 remember, figures. they told me I did not have to do math when I came back, so uh, that took me a while. Um, <laughs> completely different topic. If the NBA playing rules were adopted, this is a preview tonight, is it not? I think so. This is what team nine and ten. Yep. Is anybody talking about this? And I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not Ryan. I'm not promoting it. I'm not saying, oh, the locals aren't in, so let's let's build them a path. I'm just. I, I happen to notice that the Raptors are playing on Wednesday against Chicago. It's a play-in game. 
It's in the NBA. Is anybody talking about that right now? I think I think probably more in the media than in uh, in uh, the board of governors. I think I think the current uh, the current pr- uh, commissioner and more than likely uh, a fair amount of the uh, the board of governors, if if it's coming from the commissioner, mm-hmm. probably like it the way it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're from a if you're a traditionalist, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, sixteen teams, eight and eight. It's the math is easy. It's the top half of every. every okay, group. but I mean, let me debunk that for a second. If you're a traditionalist in 16 teams, remember 16 teams got in when there were 21 teams. Oh yeah. Now there's so it's gone from a real healthy percentage. I'll let you do the math to 50. percent Yeah. Right. So don't talk to me about tradition. Oh, let me talk to you about business. If if T let's assume because I do not see Rogers continuing on the path, but in the next television negotiation. Does TSN want a play-in game? Does TSN want because when does the season end? Friday. Yeah. So uh, there's nothing. There's nothing, and, and it only ends Friday because Nashville had a water main break and they had to re- reschedule a bunch of games. Right. So there's nothing on Saturday, right? Yeah. So if you're TSN, yeah, we'll pay you, but you know, not unlike the NFL and the NBA negotiations is. We also want to create a little programming here. So we would like playing oh, games on Saturday. I think that was, you know, we talked about tradition. The, the All-Star game used to be a, a hallowed tradition of, you know, whatever. And then someone came up with a cool idea like, hey, it'd be cool. You know, we like three-on-three overtime. We, we, yeah, we, yeah. Talk, we talked into doing three-on-three in the regular season. And everyone loves it. Let's do three-on-three in the All-Star game. That'd be kind of wacky and fun. And so I think... I contend they stole that from the uh, from Colin Patterson, our previous guest, and Perry Berzan, the old uh, SO three-on-three bond hockey. They don't care whether they find good ideas. No, they, they do not. Ideas. No, they do not. But I, I, think that's, I think that's one of the things. Like, I think, I think the challenge would be, you know, I, I think... The, if, if you tell them, hey, the All-Star game doesn't count for the standings for anyone, not, literally nothing is achieved by this outside of having goofy fun, I think it makes it easy to double down on making it three-on-three or having a draft or doing whatever because right. you're basically, you're like, it doesn't matter anyway, so let's just have some fun with it. Right. I think the biggest challenge with the NHL is uh, the they feel the regular season is hallowed and it's like, you know, when, when I, I make, I'm I'm on team keep it the way it is or keep me it too. very similar. Me, and I know I'm going to get skewed yeah. on this, but me too. I'm just... I'm building you a scenario in which TSN or whoever, ES, they just did those deals. So the next one up is the Canadian deal. So that's yeah. why I'm picking on Bell. Yeah. But Bell goes, you know what? Uh, we're, now, if you give yeah. us two games at the end of the season on a Saturday, which we don't normally own, right? That's a Rogers and CBC property. But if you're going to give us play-in games, you know, we won't like it, but we'll damn well watch it. And you and I both know those would be big ratings games. Yeah. Hey, look, look at the World Baseball Classic. Right. It means absolutely nothing. Doesn't nothing. have doesn't have a lot of built in right. prestige outside of what they built themselves. But mm-hmm. people that's gonna be a point of viewing for people next year or next time they do it based on how well this one went. Sure. So I think And can I charge can I charge playoff prices for the tickets? If you can sell them. I think that'd be the, I think that'd be the experience. You don't think like let, I, you, let's just, NHL teams used to not do variable pricing for home dates. But then, because they found that they can fill the building if they skew, if they make tiers of home dates and say, oh, well. Dynamic Edmonton, pricing. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think this, A, would be an extension of that. And B, you need to test it out. But I think as much as I feel we have an 82-game play-in round already. I, I, and I am if, just, if you can, if you can tell, if you can sell it as, how is this better? Like, if I'm, an, if I'm like, hardcore hockey fans like me, like you. We're going to watch it regardless. We're you're not going to bristle. Like, we'd be watching regardless. Like, the, the last weekend of the season, the first weekend of the playoffs, we're watching because it's what we do. I, I guess I'm more influenced by Thursday Night Football. Like, who th- 
if you strip all of the BS away, who thinks Thursday night football is good? Nobody, right? It's Sunday to Thursday. Well, maybe the back end of it's okay, but nobody wants to play, you know, in that (laughs) compacted schedule. They had god-awful games for years, and then now it's on a freaking over-the-top provider. But, man, they, 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 they got the money for it. And they do things based on the money. And it, it seems to me, did, didn't they add a play, a play in in the NFL this year too? I can't remember. I think, I they, think they did. And I think ESPN got that. I, I, and I think, I think part of the expansion of the wild card was a response both in baseball and in, in football to money. So, okay, no play in for NFL. I apologize. They added extra teams. Is that what they did? I think they expanded the wild card. Like, I think that's no what it was. Okay, okay. But yeah, it's, it's essentially that. But it's like, okay, more extra teams, playoffs. More yeah. teams stay in longer. So the games were more meaningful longer. Like, I think that was one of the, that's one of the, the ingenious things about adding the, the overtime loss. Because take away the overtime loss, we're not even talking about a playoff race here. It's, oh, no, 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 no. And I, and I, 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 la- I, I laugh because people complain about it. Well, what do you want? I mean, ultimately, you're a business. So you want your team, this is the best possible scenario for the Calgary Flames if you're not going to make the playoffs is to have every game meaningful down to the end. Yeah. And, God and, help to, and have you your fans have to rely on us for complicated math. Right. Which we clearly, I've proven I cannot do. Um, no, and, and again, I cannot stress this enough. I am not advocating for it. I am not. I like it the way it is. I have no problem with, the, well... I mean, but I'm not sure I like I'll, the, I'll, the I'll divisional stuff. Okay, but. I mean, part of it is like the AHL wanted to have expanded playoffs because they want to have more games because it helps guys get developmental reps. But a lot of like the AHL for a lot of things is a test bed for the National Hockey League. Same as the East Coast League. So you is to- it? What's going on down there? Did you hear like Chicago's now going independent? Yeah. Apparently, there's but, a but even just the idea like you know the the Wranglers are fighting for a, a buy. There's they you know they get a first sure. round by the Pacific Division because the AHL wants to ha- have teams playing a lot and also wants to experiment a bit right and so if right now I mean you know other uh, if if it weren't for this this race I mean a I don't think there'd be a lot of fan interest in the Coachella Valley team because they're so far away and, you know you only seen them a handful of times so sure. I don't think there's a really rival a real rivalry built yet sure but things like this help yeah but you're also going okay if you're you know the last couple of home games you're thinking all right so if the Wranglers win this one and win one or two more. They get a buy and they get home ice advantage and they get this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's some stakes. That's some stakes that weren't there before. Right. And I think experimenting with building those kind of things in at the minor league level can do a lot to see what works and what doesn't. And what I, yeah. does and doesn't move the needle in terms of fan interest, in terms of ticket moving, the, all kinds of stuff. Well, I and I'm right there with you. I'm, I, I really feel that the NHL's dropped the ball on using the American Hockey League the proper way. The American Hockey League should have been playing 10-minute three-on-three overtime for the last two years. The ECHL's playing seven. Right. Isn't that weird? No, that's what you should be, right? Mm-hmm. You should, I, I mean, I remember um, when uh, the, the 0405 lockout, I w- went up to Edmonton to watch the Roadrunners because they put in the fat blue lines, and I wanted to see what that was going to be like, right? How was that? It was good. I mean, if you're a smart defenseman, a Latang or an Anderson or somebody like that, or at that time, Lidstrom, it's just extra space, right? Because you're still on side. But we have, we, for whatever reason, the minute you say, oh my God, we're going to do this. Oh, you know, and God bless him. Craig Button has the ultimate comeback to this. Oh, I'm old school. How old school? You still want the Rover? Like, how far are we going back here? Right? You want the Rover? Let's get the Rover. I'm all for the Rover. Hey, bring the rover back. Hey, and I just think that the American Hockey League, I think there's two things going on. I think there's a coup going on in the American Hockey League, from what I gather. 
There's some teams that do not like current leadership for some reason. Right. And one's now going to be an independent team. What the hell? Why? Like, it's not like somebody in AAA baseball goes, yeah, enough of this. And that means we're going to get a, well, at least one shared affiliate. And it'll be weird because I hate shared affiliates. Share affiliates. And you know what? And then the Chicago Wolves will be saying, uh, yeah, sure, we'll take your player. But who is it? Right? Who do we want? You can bet that the Chicago, the, the Chicago Wolves will become the Wade Redden depository where you want to go and shed some salary and dump a guy in the American League, they're all going to end up playing for the Chicago Wolves. I, I'd be fascinated to sort of get a get a look at revenues for AHL team because I bet you Chicago's up near the top, if not at the top, and they probably feel emboldened to call their shots. Oh, no, 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 it. 100% they do. Them and Hershey. You watch. Yeah. Hershey's the next team that'll do it too. Yeah. And, her, and Hershey's always been, the, no, no, the history on that is there's a Because Hershey, well, Hershey's what, Washington? Yeah. They, but they used long, to be. That's a long-standing relationship. That's too. a long-standing. But they used to be an in, independent with an affiliation. I think there's a, Providence probably does pretty well. Providence too. would be another one. Yeah, there's a, for sure. Hartford maybe. There's a few a few New England teams that uh, but that don't have their own full-time teams that do pretty well there and have some good in-market cachet. Absolutely. Let's talk about the one here and good cachet before we get to that numbers. Um, exactly how good is the season that Dustin Wolf is putting up? I'd say generational. He's, okay. you know, he's very good. I, I'll give, I'll give the Blue Liners in front of him credit. I mean, they, the team defense in the first month or so of the season was sort of all over the place, and then they've really done a good job tidying it up. Uh, you know, they've had some injuries on the back end. They've had some guys float back and forth. Dennis Gilbert, arguably the most consistent defenseman, has been in the NHL since January. So, I mean, they they lost probably their most reliable guy. But, you know, uh, Ilya Slavyov has taken a big step. I think, you know, D. Simone's game has really steadied out after sort of being a little bit shaky early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Nick Maloche has really taken a step. I think he was out for a little bit with a, a minor injury, but now he's back. Like, they've, they've gotten a lot of stuff out of the veterans. And I think some of their young guys, Guys are taking some big steps. I mean, you know, I think Poyer's maybe, you know, Jeremy Poyer's maybe another half season playing, you know, showing off his defensive game to be very, to be pretty good. I think Kuznetsov's getting there. I don't think he's quite, his offensive game isn't quite as, as strong. So I think there might be a little bit less appetite to try him out, but I mean, you know, they, you know, they, they've been, they've been working on a lot of things and I'll give Mitch Love credit. Like Mitch Love, uh, you know, if you, if you have a bad game or two, he just pulls you out. He doesn't care who you are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, Jeremy Poirier had a couple of rough games out of the lineup. And, you know, a couple guys at that. So I think that's that's a bold thing to do, and you can do it when you have the, the respect and the trust of your room because yeah. you don't expect, like, you know, no one's going to go, oh, Poirier's not playing tomorrow? Oh, this guy's yeah. an idiot. They go, oh, Poirier's not playing tomorrow? Okay, I get it. Yeah. And if you do that through – so I, I think a lot of things have gone well, and, you know, they haven't had to – I think they're one of the top offensive teams in the league, and they're one of the top defensive teams in the league. They've gotten better both mm-hmm. defensively and offensively, despite losing a lot of established players last year who knew the guys, knew the system, and knew the yep. team. And I mean, that's that's a credit to that group. They've they've done a lot of different things, and they have a guy at the back of uh, you know down in the net who they trust uh, implicitly and who's really repaid that trust. I mean, he's, what, a 932 safe percentage right now? Leads the league. Leads the league by a country mile. He and has, the same thing in goals against, does he not? Yeah, he leads the league. Uh, I think that there's one there's one guy ahead of him in goals against, oh, okay. uh, but barely. He's like a hair ahead of him in goals against. But he's against. ahead in wins. He's ahead in save percentage. Um, 
Yeah, it's he's la- yeah, he's, he, he's uh, lapping the field to use some terminology. Uh, Hershey Bears goaltender Hunter Shepard, who's played 31 games, has a, a 205 goals against Wolves at 208. Uh, Shepard has played 31 games. Uh, uh, Dustin Wolf has more wins, 10 more wins than Hunter Shepard has games played. Uh, <laughs> he is currently the league leader in games played, minutes played, uh, shutouts, second in goals against, outright leader in wins. Uh, he his nine thirty two save percentage is uh, uh, I think what point seven point oh seven uh, ahead of uh, Brandon Boosie, who's uh, Providence Bruins goalie, who's mm-hmm. uh, up with the big club right now. Uh, granted, he's up for the big club because you know it's weird. It's late in the season; they're getting weird and yep. uh, sitting guys. But yeah. I mean, he was the best goaltender in the American League by a fair bit last year, and he's having a better season in almost every respect this year. Uh, it and it's it's working, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I mean. Easy kid to root for, easy team to root for. They, you know, they play a really fun style of game. And, you know, I'm, we talked about this in the past. I'm fascinated to see how their postseason looks because, you know, if there's any justice in the world, that first game, that first home game they get in at this rate, probably round two uh, against whoever, the, the weakest remaining team in their division, that building should be hopping. It should be. And I, I think it will be, to be perfectly honest. And I, I would, Hope that they do them the the saw and I'm, I'm not trying to create work for my my friends on the ice crew, but I hope they put the W in the middle. I think that's the plan. Okay, I've been told that's the plan. <clears throat> yeah, if, uh, if there's only one team playing, the uh, the, the team logo is still goes in the middle. Go up Good. There, so um, no, I I just I look at Dustin Wolf and I'm I'm seeing things. You use the term generational. I've seen things from people who say that you know he he's arguably the best player in the world in his league. When you say something like that and Connor McDavid's having this kind of season, it, it gets my attention. It seems to me he's forcing an issue here. Like he's they're gonna have to do something, the, aren't the, they? I, for I, next year. I think they're in a situation right now where, you know, they, they have options. And if you're if you're another team, like effort teams are always looking for goaltenders. Right. So let's say you're the you know, whoever's let's say they hire you as GM for the flame because yep. they, they want someone who works cheap. Yep. Uh they hire you Nobody they, works cheaper than me. They they hire you and they go you know, what do you yep. think? You know, I think if I call you and ask about Wolf, ask if he's available, you, you start chuckling, be like, no. no. And you go, how about the other guy? So I think, I think they're. Which I is think, the other guy? Uh, Dan Vladar. Dan right. Vladar signed for two years at 2.2. He's a good goalie. He's still young. <laughs> yeah. And the only knock you have against him right now is sometimes he's a little bit inconsistent, but he also doesn't play a lot. Yep. So if you, if I'm a GM and I'm trying to sell another team on giving me a second or third round pick or some kind of a roster player who can help out my whatever. On uh, for for Fladar, I go. Hey, you know, only thing he didn't do is like you know he's he's not the guy that the the coach trusts as much, and it's because Markstrom had a bigger body of work heading in, and so if you're thinking if you're the head coach and you're going, we got to pick one guy, and we're going to go with this guy because you can easily make a case to go with Markstrom, and it's not anything negative about about Vladar. Yeah, and so I think the fact that Vladar did not have an implosion, Vladar was simply good, but wasn't as good as Markstrom has been or could be yeah. and also didn't have the, the, the big contract. I think that's, that's an easy sales pitch. And I think every team is always looking for goaltenders. And if you're anywhere else, if you're San Jose, if you're Detroit, if you're, if I can think of probably a dozen teams that would look hard at Fladar and go, well, oh, we easily. could, we the, could the, use the dollars. If, are, if yeah. we're tandeming, if the idea is that, you know, if the, if the plan was always, you know, you, you sign, you don't, you, when you sign Dan Vildar to your extension, you don't know that Dustin Wolf is going to go off this year. You think mm-hmm. maybe he will, maybe he won't. Mm-hmm. We want to give ourselves some wiggle room. So you sign Dan Vildar for two years at mm-hmm. a contract you can easily move, and then Dustin Wolf goes nuts. So 
I think uh, that'd be one of the th- one of the positions I'd look at for potential tweaks. Not because anything went especially wrong. I think there's tons of things that contributed to the goaltending being what it is. But I think you know you're looking for reasons to move this kid up. Do we have to? Do we have to explain or have a conversation about why it's Vladar and not Markstrom? Uh, a no move contract. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, and you know, I think uh, I think he's and it's a bigger contract and all of those sort of things. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, okay. And I and I think you know, thank you. Don't not to tell tales out of school, but I think you know it's come out. You know, Markstrom's you know wife had a baby. Yep. It's their first kid. I I have have no children. I can only imagine from talking to friends and family members of mine. You know the level of regardless of what your job is, the level of apprehension you have heading into that. I think there's tons of things that you don't think that will impact you at your job that do for various reasons. I don't want to say that's the reason because I don't know. And to be honest, but I think he's part of the reason you're even in it at this point. Yeah, this play in the last month, right? I think is fair. He was he was challenged to step up and. In a time of, of the year where he had to, he did. Yeah. And, you know, he's... You know, so he, that begs the question, though, Ryan. If it's still Markstrom next year, is that enough for Wolf? Is it, I think it depends on who else is in the system. Because the thing with Wolf is, next year, Wolf is waiver-exempt again. He's waiver-exempt for a year after that, too. So let's let's just say, yeah. you know, you... You, know, you, you sign a quad-A guy and say, okay, mm-hmm. here's the plan, boys. We're going to sit down and say, here's the plan, 82 games for a plan. We're going to give Markstrom 45 to 50. Mm-hmm. So our plan is, you know, Wolf, we're going to play you this many times a week, a month, whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, Markstrom gets hot, so you go to the other guy, a bit, you go to him a bit more. So you send Wolf down for a week to get him a couple games in, send him down for a weekend. You have that ability. And so you basically need to have uh, a goalie, uh, the other goalie of the AHL, maybe it's Oscar Dansk, maybe it's someone else, yep. uh, that you feel comfortable with just bringing up for a weekend, being like, okay, you're backing up, you know, we're, we're putting Wolf in for this weekend, Markstrom's uh, going to start up here, we need you to sit uh, to back up uh, Markstrom yep. for a weekend. Yep. I think they're, you know, they have the waiver exemption to do that with Wolf for the next two years. I, if if something happens with Dan Vildar where he's moved elsewhere, I think they definitely look at that possibility because you want him playing, you want him playing a ton. Yep. And maybe maybe you put him in the NHL and he has a bad first weekend, so you send him down for a couple of weeks to just, you know, rag to all the AHL, then you send him back up, he gets another couple starts. Like I think with the way Boston granted, Boston had the benefit slash curse of a lot of goalie injuries, so they kinda of had to do this. Yep. But if you look at how they did things with Ladar, with uh, Swayman. Jeremy Swayman with yep. Linus Allmark with a lot of the young goaltenders yep. there. They were using guys on the same week in one place and the other place. They were sort of shifting guys around. And granted, you have that ability when your farm team's in Providence, you can just bring a guy up. Yep. You have that ability when your farm team's down the hallway. Down the hallway, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that'll be, I think goaltending is, if you're looking at any one position to go, hmm, I wonder what they do this year. I think goaltending this offseason might be the thing to look at because I think there's a lot of really interesting things they could do. Okay. Um, one last one on the Wranglers. And I, we mentioned his name last week, but it popped again for me this week is Connor Zary, who... Um, 19th in scoring, Connor Zary. Yeah. Is, is you know, you, you brought up, uh, and I think it was the conversation we had last week about Poirier that uh, might still be, you know, half a season away. What about Zary next fall? I think he gets a long look. I think he gets a long look. I, I What I would do... And it's me. I'm not in charge. I don't coach. Mm-hmm. I th- I'm really curious to see how Zari and Pelche and Coronado look in camp and how they progressed. Yep. Because, you know, I would say if it was up to me, uh, you know, 
You put you, maybe you put them on a line together for some preseason games and see how they operate as a unit. Maybe you split them up into you know playing with a different different established forwards to sort of see is there a big gap between them and the NHL Zari's the center, right? Uh, Zari, Zari can play center wing. He's okay. been used to doing a little of both. Uh, he's sort of I would say he's sort of more of a Dubé than okay. the other two guys. I okay. think you know, but I, he's he's done both fairly well, and he's his ability to play both has given them a lot of flexibility. You know, he's playing on the wing right now primarily with Cole Schwint and um, Emilio Peterson, but he's sort of bounced around a bit. You know, the nice thing with, with Schwint is Schwint can, is a, you know, he can play wing or center and he's a right shot. So if, you know, you can use strong side faceoffs with both of them. So, you know, Schwent's another one of those guys I think that could be kind of a dark horse. He, he had, could. His eh? offense isn't great this year, but I think the challenge, you know, a lot of guys don't have great offense, you know, once they get to that level. But I mean, I think if you look at what made Doer work mm-hmm. as well this year, mm-hmm. I think Doer sort of figured out, especially you know late last season, early this season, what made him tick at the AHL level, right. and just focused on being good at the things he was good at. And I think you know with you know with Schwint, I think with all the the changes and all the the transitions, and you know playing with a lot of different guys because I think they were trying to figure out what he was. I think. A bit more, a bit more of a consistent role would do a lot of good things for him. But mm. I think you know some guys need consistency. Some guys need to have a, a really set role. Some guys are like Zary, and, and you can say, "Put me wherever I don't care." Yeah, and Dylan Dubé has been good at that. Dylan Dubé is a "Put me wherever, coach." I you know wherever you need me to do. Some guys, you know, everyone's wired a bit differently. So I think it's just sort of a matter of you know figuring out what the niche is, and maybe the niche is utility guy. You, you need some utility guys. Paulie Byron's made a heck of a pro, a pro career, especially at this level out of just being a guy who can play with anyone and anywhere in any situation. And, you know, is he a tippity-top high-end guy? I, I don't think anyone would say he he is. But is he a guy who can be relied on? Like, he was very good here. He's been very good in Montreal. Yep. He's been healthy. And, unfortunately, yep. he's been healthy very infrequently. Yeah. But when he's healthy, I mean, he's made a, a really good living and a very he really good career has. for himself. For an undersized yeah. guy. Yeah, for an yeah. undersized guy, just because he's got, he knows what he's good at, and he's he's able to sort of be used in a lot of different roles, a lot of different situations. And, you know, maybe it's tough if you're another team to figure out what he is because he can be so many different things. He's kind of a chameleon. And if you can find guys in your system that can be chameleons, like your Zaris, they're pretty valuable. Yep. Um, okay. What do you expect tonight? I don't know. Yeah, uh, we'll see in the first ten minutes. Will that's, we? That's sort of the. That's sort of the, the. Well, I mean, we saw what happened the first ten minutes of Vancouver, and that shifted. Yeah, but I'd I'd say the the canary in the coal mine for the Flames is always their 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 breakouts. If they yeah. if they yeah. break out of their own zone well, if they can get speed going through the neutral zone early, they're going to do okay. And if they can also stop the other team from getting any kind of speed through the neutral zone, that way you know that both sides of the game are going pretty well. You can't really tell the first 10 or the last 10, but that's part of their the middle 180. I think the transition game is the key to the, the middle 180 feet that they're, they can be so good at. And I think the challenge is if you can click early and you can, you know, it's a Nashville team that did not like their game against Winnipeg. They were not good against Winnipeg. No, they were kind of they weren't kind of mad about it, and they should be because you know they, it was a game that they probably just want to erase the tape on. You know, they'll be motivated because they're they're up against the wall as much, if not more, than the Flames are. Oh, for certainly, and they have success against Calgary, right? Like they, they've had recent success against Calgary. Yeah. They, they've won in this building. They, you know, and I think if you're the Flames, I mean, you're going to go into it. You'll probably, by the time you hit the ice at 7.30, you probably know how that Winnipeg-San Jose game went. Yeah. And maybe you're thinking in the back of your mind, okay, 
Got to win this one. Right. If you win, the, you, no matter what anyone else does, you win this one, you basically put Nashville down, and you only have to worry about Na- Winnipeg. If you don't, I wonder what Wednesday's game becomes. If it becomes somewhat of a, a referendum with the fans, I wonder if that could be a hostile, ugly. Uh, if mood. if I think it, if if they're mathematically eliminated for Wednesday, I think we see Coronado. I think we see Pelche. I think we see a lot of guys. I think. Oh sure. I'd be very curious. I, I think a lot of the the transactions on the AHL and NHL level completely depend on how t- this game goes. Because the Flames can't make it anymore, then maybe you bring up some of those guys we talked about. Maybe you bring up a Zary, maybe bring up a Poirier, maybe mm-hmm. we see Dustin Wolf because, you know, they, they have a lot of cap space. They have a lot of wiggle room. The only guy getting bonuses right now uh, that'll eat up their cap space that they have left is, uh, is Trevor Lewis. But, you know, if they have like 20, 30 grand to play with, with for one day, yeah. you can bring up a lot of guys. Uh, I did not mention this. I, I just saw it on my uh, notes. Backlund is the nominee for the Masterton. I yep. I don't think there was any doubt there. That was a no-brainer. I think, I think maybe you can make a case for, Chris, you know, I saw some folks on social media talk about Chris Tanev too. Yeah, I don't think, I think one of those two would have been the, the slam dunk pick. Okay. Uh, Backlund, I think, because you know he has the longevity, he has yeah. the the history in the market, and, you know, you talk to him, you know, we talked to him uh, on Friday uh, as a media group, just about the award and about all the stuff he does off ice. Yeah. You know, he does so much stuff off he ice does. and he takes no credit for it. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, a lot of guy, a lot of guys in a lot of markets and, you know, don't not to disparage people in other markets, or other sports, you know, uh, people do all kinds of things for, for all kinds of reasons. For a lot of people, I think a lot of the off ice stuff they do is for optics, for yep. the prestige, because, yep. you know, being involved in charities, it's, it's something that, that you know, it ups your profile as an athlete. It, it's good for for you for a lot of reasons. Right, Michael Backlund, I think, does not. He doesn't like getting credit for these things. We talked to him about his motivations and ideas and stuff. You know, he was famously bringing food home uh, from the the family suites and and dropping off at, ch- at the, the the drop in center on his way home because he's like, oh, it's on it's on our way. And my my wife uh, came up with the idea. She thought it was a cool idea. Yep. You know, he takes no credit for it. It's all Frida. Yeah. Uh, the stuff they're doing with uh, the ALS group, I think a lot of the stuff he, he credits to Frida. Uh, a lot of the stuff he's doing for Special Olympics, I think he credits to his family. Parachutes and, for pets. Yeah, They've like, been a huge benefactor yeah, there. He, he credited a lot, of his, a lot of the stuff he does uh, off the ice to his parents and to mm-hmm. his wife. And I think that says a lot about who Michael Backlund is a person. Where, but I, you know, as much as I'm going to dump on this, or we've dumped on this organization for on ice and stuff like that, who was his captain? Giordano. That was what, who was G- the captain G- before him. Exactly, and who was the captain before him? Conroy, again, all of those guys you know, that, are. I, I think you know, I, that, that's I would, just been the way, and, right? And like dating back to the guy who was in the chair before me, I think. Colin Patterson, I think. Yeah. I think. I think they've done a really nice job. I mean, you know, the, the original ownership group, you know, yep. the, the Siemens, the Skirfields, yep. you know, the list goes Harley, on. Yep. Harley, I think they 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 set a tone for 100%. this is how this is the type of citizen you need to be to wear these uh, these colors. And I think the people I think who have success in this market really resonate with the fans are the people that not only perform on the ice, but are able to sort of walk the walk in the same way. You are going to be busy as a managing editor at Flames Nation this week. Oh, Regardless. Regardless. Yeah, they, they, they told you that you didn't have to do any math. Gets, I guess I get to do all the math. So You get to do all the we're math. We're going to have uh, breakdowns of where things are and where things aren't. Uh, and inevitably, I think we're going to have a lot of things sort of skewing towards postmortem. Yep. And, you know, just uh, off the top of my head, Wednesday, the, the Wranglers play, and they could potentially clinch uh, first place. Uh, as early as Wednesday, they they're beginning a three game series with uh, the uh, Abbotsford the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, that'll close out the regular season, and then we'll figure out you know. So by by this weekend, we should figure out what the next couple weeks look like for 
all the teams that uh, that call the Scotiabank Satellite home. So it's going to be it's going to be hectic. And it then, will be hectic. And then we're heading into you know assuming that one group may or may not be playing after after Wednesday. Then uh, you know got to cut the body open and start uh, seeing what didn't work. The autopsy <clears throat> can't it, do it on a can't do it on a living person. So you gotta well, work. you shouldn't. It's it's you impolite. To, it's impolite. It's that's, impolite. That's start, right. It's impolite to start the autopsy till the person's pulse has stopped. Yeah. Right. And, As know, a general rule of thumb. Yeah. And you know, I think uh, you know we'll try to we'll do our best to put things in perspective for the fans. Because I mean, you know, I don't think anyone ever everyone went into these situations with the best of intentions. I don't think anyone was sort of there were no villains here. No, there's, there's no just, villains. You know, when you're when you're cooking a meal, sometimes the recipe don't work, and you know you can get mad at how at the process, or you can sit down and look at the recipe and go, okay. Oh crap! Did I use salt or sugar here? Yeah, that's. I think that's the. That'll be the name of the game for the next. Uh, oh god, maybe a couple of months. It's going to be a while. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate this. Yeah, we might good. have to tap you on Friday. Might, might. You never know what happens, right? Uh, yeah, I, Friday's the day I've been told to. So yeah, okay. We'll, uh, we'll touch base. All right. Thanks, brother. See you, man. Ryan Pike. He is the managing editor of Flames Nation, and he joins us every Monday. Brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary, three locations. Uh, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue, just off of 14th Street. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by the McDonald's. Uh, at the bottom of, by Windsport. Some great deals for gear for springtime in the mountains. It doesn't get any better than that. Don't forget to afterburner tonight, uh, immediately following the game against the predators and again on wednesday i i get that one the boys are apparently having a bit of a party or something so uh, i'll be doing afterburner on wednesday looking forward to that we're back with you on wednesday uh billy jaffe from uh, new england sports network is going to join us we'll talk about the record-setting boston bruins marco carducci in studio the outstanding keeper from your cavalry fc friday akeem haynes olympic medalist and author speaker will be joining us in studio and next monday danny austin's covering for me so that's the shape of things to come now time for our final mile uh tip of the hat to dungeon wrestling for a great show on friday night from top to bottom it was a pay-per-view card as they streamed it on hn live uh, i thought they had just a dynamite uh, wrestling but uh, more importantly than that and i think i mentioned on friday they were kind enough to invite a bunch of uh, heroes kids and superheroes kids so for me to watch uh, our kids uh, get to to take advantage of and have fun and uh, hung out with Brent Gibbs, hung out with Boomer, uh, David Lake, all kinds of friends there. But it was an awesome, awesome card, including the Billington Bulldogs winning the tag team champions uh, chips from the uh, Bollywood boys. That was an unbelievable match. Uh, Our pal, our buddy, uh, Michael Richard Blaze, who's going to do eight straight hours on May 13th, was in the uh, opening event, and uh, that match was really, really good, too. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, I believe there's another show coming up during Stampede, uh, but back in the pavilion where it deserves to be. And finally, um, speaking of Brent Gibbs uh, and other co-workers of his, uh, Tori Peterson from uh, Flames Digital side, Chris Huey from uh, their graphics design department, and, and many others, kudos to them. Uh, they auctioned off the Pride jerseys and the Treaty 7 jerseys and uh, the generous donations of, uh, of 
Flames fans, Calgarians, and hockey fans uh, totaling well over $100,000, which will go back to uh, community and charities, uh, which support both the Pride Initiative and, and Treaty 7 uh, initiatives as well. So just want to make sure that uh, we are recognizing the great work that was done over this uh, over there this year uh, to make sure that, uh, well, th- th- there's a lasting impact. They're not just wearing these jerseys during warm-up, uh, but they're actually making good in the community. That's it. Thanks to uh, Jack and Gavin, our two producers today. Thanks to Colin Patterson. Thanks to Ryan Pike for joining us. We're back on Wednesday with Billy Jaffe and with Marco Carducci. Enjoy yourselves. We'll see you in two days, everybody.